you're listening to Stark Contrast, a Game of Thrones podcast at Movieville. I'm Soren Howe, and I'm here with Josh Rosenfield, and we're going to be discussing the season six finale, uh, The Winds of Winter. So this was a big episode that wrapped up a lot of storylines, or at least pushed them forward. Um, another episode from Miguel Sapochnik, who did last week's episode, um, uh, Battle of the Bastards as well. So... Uh, yeah, I'm. I'm actually very curious to see what you thought of this week's this week's episode. Uh, well, first of all, I can't believe they called it the Winds of Winter because that has nothing to do with what happens in the episode, and it's just to kind of poke at the book readers. Um, that's the only reason they called it that. Like, I know that winter, like winter comes finally, but that's kind of just a they, they kind of toss that off. It's not really the focus of the episode. Um, although I like that moment, and we'll get to it, but um. It's it's funny that they named the episode after uh, something that really has nothing to do with it. And if you didn't know the context of the win- what the winds of winter, or you'd, if you didn't know the significance of it, uh, you might have been a little confused as to why they called the episode that. Well, no, I think I think very metaphorically, it's just the winds of winter. The you know the it's setting this whole episode is about setting the stage for winter, which is the finale of the show, as well as whatever's going to happen in the next two seasons. Um, so I think it's sort of like you know, the winds of conflict are blowing or the winds of, you know, it's it's like a more colorful way of saying that that's applicable to this universe. So I think it, it, it made sense to me. Uh, okay, all right. I mean... I Only because it's been, like, the go-to phrase from this show since the beginning, the whole winter is coming thing. So that scene is literalizing it, but in general, I mean, the winds of winter immediately applies to the final shot of this with Daenerys going across the water with her ships to me like that is winds of winter it's the winds of what is to come daenerys doesn't represent winter though she represents um uh winter's coming from the other direction from the north no 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 you're right she absolutely doesn't represent winter but she's about to be embroiled in the winter that westeros yeah i mean all right she's about to be in all of that i don't want to harp on it too much but it did kind of it didn't bother me at all we always talk about the title like it has some sort of major significance i know that's that's the only reason i wanted to mention is because we've gotten we've gotten into a habit of doing it at the top of the episode we have, we have, and and um, I, I just personally, I, I thought, I, I felt like it, it did fit for the, the just in a very general sense. Yeah. Um, oh, and but anyway, so this week we're going to not spend an hour leading up to a battle. Uh, we're going to actually go through the episode um, <laughs> in a more measured fashion. Yeah. So here we go. So yeah, I, well, real, real, real quick before we get into the episode proper, I do want to say, um, I don't know, you've said in the past that you don't watch the previously ons. I don't know if you did this week. I try not to. Yeah, yeah so I just it ruins the episode. So um, this week's previously on started with started really cool. You know, before it was there were like four shots, were kind of wordless shots, maybe a few more, that um, just explained how the battle last week went basically. Um, and I was like, oh, this is cool. It's you know, it's it is getting across the exposition very simply, almost like um, like how a comic book would, just sort of like image, 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 image. Now you get what happened. And then it's after that, all that it says previously on Game of Thrones, and I'm sitting there like, oh, that was really that was neat. I'm glad that. They... And the first thing they showed after that was, of course, Dorne, and I knew Dorne was going to be in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> and I so I was just it, I just came crashing down. Uh, well, you know, of all of all the Dorne scenes, this was probably the least egregious. Probably that's true, but only because had very little to do with it. Oh yeah, only because we had um, <laughs> someone there to uh, chastise everything about Dorne. Uh, oh yeah, that, that just there to is, tell everyone to shut up. There is nothing to yeah, this basically. city except for this one like porch area. 
Yep, basically we've we've that summed up Dorn. Yeah. And the fans' opinions on it. <laughs> um, that was one fan shout out that I definitely could get behind. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in any case, as as we have pointed out, clearly the creators of the show listen to Star Contrast on the regular because how else would they know? <laughs> how else? That Dorn needs to go. I mean, I don't think anyone else on the internet really talks about Game of Thrones, so it must be our podcast. It must be. No, there is no other discussion based. Certainly HBO doesn't have their own series no, no, no. where they do this. <laughs> <clears throat> anyway, um, so yeah, so we can just jump right into this. Um, oh, I want to just say, the when there's new music introduced into the show, it's almost always really good. It's just oh, so yeah. rarely introduced. Holy crap. And I don't know what it is. Do they not pay, what's his name? Oh, uh, Ramin Jawadi, Jawad- I think. Ramin Jawadi, yeah. They never like. Do they not pay him to compose on the regular? It's like they they compo- pay him for like an, a season to introduce one new theme, and then he just doesn't come back. Well, if you look at the um, there's a soundtrack Sorry. album for each season, and there's a lot of you know th- he does compose a lot of new music, obviously. like subtle variations. And well, stuff? but he you know he's reusing late motifs, obviously, but um, that's to be expected. You know, I think he does more probably than most TV composers do. Um, because a lot of TV shows will just literally reuse the same tracks over and over. It's like, here's the track that we use when it's suspense, uh, you know, et cetera. Yeah, but, like, how many times have we heard Reigns of Castamere or some slight Well, I mean, it's not a slight variation, though. It's a late... Mo- it's, you know, like how Lord of the Rings, like, the Hobbits had their own kind of Okay, motif let's and... not get crazy here. This is no... No, but it's, exa- it's, it's the exact same thing. It's like, you know, you hear the... Uh... The ro- I, they didn't feel the Rohan no, theme not, or, the, or the Rivendell if, theme. Compare this to Korra. And it's like you hear it in different, played in different ways, you know, based on how the characters are, what the characters are doing, the context of what's going on. But it's the same. It's a recognizable melody, and that's the point of having the recognizable melody, so that you can change it and shift it based on the surrounding context. And that's basically what he's doing right. here. It's like, yeah, we hear the reins of Castamere over and over and over, but we don't hear we hear the melody. We don't hear it the exact same way. Um, I will say though, holy right, shit! Wait, it just doesn't feel that different. Whereas, like, compare that to what's his face from from Korra and Avatar. He did some really interesting. He didn't. He uh, didn't traffic in in motifs though, um, really. And that's not. Well, that's... he did sometimes, but when he did, it was they were very different. Like the final theme is a version of the, the credits theme or something. He... And, but it's like a completely redone, composed, Korra, interesting version of it. What Korra would do is is instead of using actual melodies as motifs, it would use more like instruments. Um, so, like, the airbenders used a lot of <laughs> wind instruments, obviously. But, you know, that that way each time that the score was uh, about certain characters or factions or areas, um, you got kind of the sense of that through the instruments without literally hearing the same, like, melody. Um, which is really, really great. I'm not saying, obviously, it's not a bad thing. I, I, the score for The Legend of Korra is amazing. Um, but just a different kind of style of uh, TV composing. Right. Well, my point isn't to insult him. It's actually quite the opposite. I think when there's something new, like uh, the 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 track Misa from season four, that concludes the whole thing when they're all when she frees a bunch of people and they're all like lifting Daenerys up. I don't know if you remember yeah, that. Yeah. I have that track. I listen to it all the time. Mm-hmm. This piano theme is so cool. It's incredible. So. So when these new when these new themes come along, I'm always like, "Whoa, this is awesome!" And this has a lot of elements of other stuff, but like this is what I would, this kind of thing is something I would hope I, I just would have hoped would happen. Well, this is a great more. example because though. I of, think when he does it, it's really. This cool. is a great example though of it's not just you know kind of a unique. He's not really I don't know. I'm someone who's probably more versed or like more attuned to this stuff might be able to correct me, but he's not really 
utilizing uh, super familiar like uh, motifs in this track. What he's doing... No, except for the opening theme he's using. Well, he does use the opening they theme, that's coming right, in, and a in a really cool way. But, but mostly it's not. I think they're no, new. I think it's new. That's why What's so new, well, what's really new about it is really the instruments he's using. And, you know, when when this episode started right, and it was uh, just this kind of solo piano, my jaw was on the mm. floor. Because we never, we've never heard that before on Game of Thrones. Oh, no. We never hear... We rarely hear... We also never have music over just... Uh, like we almost never have montage sequences. Exactly that ever. too. I couldn't. I was like I was watching a completely different show. It, it was blowing my mind. Yeah. Yeah. Because exactly. Like As often happens with this director. We, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Um, yeah. Because like you usually Game of Thrones episodes kind of proceed in these chunks where we have characters deliver exposition to each other, and then we move to the next right. chunk in the next area where characters deliver more exposition and the plot moves along. When we're kind of intercutting uh, sequences that are going on uh, in the same. I'm trying to think of the last time we would have got something like this. Maybe it's usually maybe like when battles are being prepared for, but even then it's typically like, you know, just shots maybe. of people putting on armor and stuff. Um, and then we kind of get an analog with, cause people... but we never get this. We never get this overlay. I'm thinking maybe before Blackwater, they're singing reigns of Castamere and that might've overlaid something, but I think it may just be them singing like the hound and the people who are around him are singing in the, uh, in uh, the red keep. I think. That's the only thing I remember, but I, mostly there's not usually like a, any sort of montage sequence. Well, certainly before. we never get. Um, yeah, I mean, this whole sequence is it, right to the end. You could consider not just the opening part. Right to the end, you could consider it one long montage. And what's unique yeah. about it for Game of Thrones is, you know, usually when we get to a location, uh, we're in one like it's very concentrated the setting. Like we like we joked about a second ago. All we ever see of Dorne is this one porch, because that's where every scene in Dorne seems to be set, for some reason. Right. Um, usually when we would go to King's Landing, we would have a scene with, you know, it's either Cersei in some room in the Red Keep, or that goddamn room they kept having the High Sparrow scenes in this season. Um, right. Or, you know, the Sept or whatever. Which totally served a purpose. Yeah, but we wouldn't... Not. We would not cut between different locations in the same kind of broader area. Um, like, you wouldn't cut between different locations uh, at the wall, for instance. Like John's bedroom and uh, and and the yard or whatever. Um, so yeah, to have usually, a whole yeah. sequence that's basically going back and forth between the sept and you know the. Um... Oh, can I also just say now I have a spatial alignment of where things are in King's Landing. <laughs> well, yeah, for the first time. I had no idea. But this is the, yeah. that's the exact reason, right? That's exactly what I'm talking about. I'm like, oh, you can see the sept from the. the that must <laughs> exactly. have really been hard for her to see every day. Yeah. But th that's exactly what Good I'm talking know. about. Yeah, because the show is always so concentrated in its locations, y you can never have any sense of geography of like uh, on a broader scale of any of these places. No, you really can't. You know, which is why I remember liking, and then you know, I think I've I've gone back and forth on this shot. I know, but that big track, that big long tracking shot in the um the battle at the at Castle Black, in season four. Oh right, yes, you have gone back and forth. I, but I, this is an example where um, you liked it at first, and then when we talked about it later, you were like, "No, I hated." That. I didn't. Well, I, I hated it, but and then. But what I will say, it. I do, I do still, you know, appreciate about it is the way that it gives you a sense of the geography of this location that we had spent four seasons at, True. and we had never been given a sense of where things are in relation to each other because we would only be shown one part of it at a time. Yeah, and and when we were shown something like they didn't, sh there was no like long tracking shot that showed. Someone getting on the elevator, going up the elevator, <laughs> yeah. getting out the elevator. But then we saw that in this, in in that in that battle in Watchers on the Wall, which helped give us that sense. But we'd only have seen, you know, a quick shot of the elevator going up, and then maybe we'd cut away to a completely different storyline, so we wouldn't have any idea. Like, oh, does that open? Wait, 
where is that? <laughs> where are we? Yeah. Um, so basically, yeah, no, you know, I agree. what's remarkable about the sequence then is that Sapochnik has a lot of heavy lifting to do in terms of establishing that geography so that the sequence has any tension at all. Yeah, it's like it's like he was going back watching the other episodes and going, wait, nobody knows where these things yeah. are, do they? So he has to establish it. We should, he has we to should es- establish Exactly, <laughs> he has to establish it and then, you know, just quickly enough that the tension of the scene still exists. Uh, and he does it beautifully and seamlessly. Oh, yeah. It's really good. Um and it's so important to the, it, it underpins the whole scene, right? Cersei's looking at it, Cersei watches it blow up, and then Tommen sees it, and then that's the last thing Tommen sees, mm-hmm. right? Like that's crazy. It's all it underpins this whole this whole sequence. Um, so that's really cool. Uh, I also wanted to so, so the piano is is new, I think. Yeah, we haven't really had piano at all. We probably um, have, you know, just because of the shows. But I have to imagine that if at one point we've had a piano on the score, uh, but never like. But it's unusual. Yeah, but yeah, it, it never like on its own. Just uh, yeah, we usually the show is very much into strings, <laughs> very into strings. So. Well, right. So what's interesting here is we have a piano track that moves into like maybe two vocals or maybe just one. I can't remember. Yeah, there's it's, definitely like a, some choral stuff going on near the end. Right, and then it moves into cello. It's really interesting, yeah, and, then and when it he's, transitions throughout this episode. When actually. under when uh, the shots of uh, Lancel underground, there's like some Phantom of the Opera shit, like this, you know, gigantic pipe organ. It's crazy. Right. <laughs> it's really weird and interesting. Yeah, it was really good stuff though. Um, like I said, I like this composer when he's when he's. I don't know if he's given more breathing room to do this stuff, or maybe he really only thinks. Maybe maybe it's his choice to only have certain things bolstered by this and i'm not saying that everything has to be this this is really elaborate it doesn't need to be this elaborate but when he composes new stuff for the show it's always i identify with music a lot with locations and that's something actually i've argued um just on the internet and other places about lord of the rings and why i think it has probably one of the best soundtracks mm. is you can listen to the soundtrack to lord of the rings and be transported to each location yep. based just on the soundtrack yeah well each one has an identifiable thing. Yeah. Whereas that's absolutely not the case at all in, in Game of Thrones. <laughs> no, Game of Thrones. I can. I think Game of Thrones. Not even between Essos and es- and, and uh, Westeros. There's yeah. no even the continents don't have. I think if you ask Ramin Jawadi, just because he is, you know, he's he is genuinely a talented composer. I don't want to sound like I'm no, exactly. diminishing him. I think if you asked him, he would probably explain to you, like, no, you know, when we have scenes here, I like to do this, and when we have scenes here, I like to do that. I'm sure, yeah. But I don't. Th- I'd love to interview him. Yeah. <laughs> the show doesn't like showcase that. I don't think. I don't think the show is giving him a chance. Like, yeah, like you say, Lord of the Rings is probably the best film score of all time because it has just just the sheer volume of recognizable themes from that movie is is unprecedented. Yeah, like you know, everyone can hum the Star Wars theme, and you know, Star Wars. There's the main titles and Imperial March. Like that's two. Uh, there's like ten. You could hum ten different themes from Lord of the Rings, and people would say, "Oh, that's from Lord of the Rings," because they're yeah, right, all exactly. exactly as recognizable. And not only could they tell you that, they could probably tell you what it. Yeah, what, what like, character or whatever, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and those and those, what's interesting is those are location based in Star Wars. The opening crawl doesn't mean anything. Like it's not a Yeah, it just it means it, it means Star Wars. <laughs> it means Star Wars, right? And then there's the Imperial March, which is Vader. Mm-hmm. And then I guess we're probably going to get See, the thing is you don't want to I always say that cuz I like to say that the Lord of the Rings soundtrack's better than the Star Wars soundtrack, but then people just flip out and start talking about all these random themes that I'm like, yeah, but the fact that you have to explain this to me when I could yeah. play you, uh, you know, the theme from Hobbiton, you would know that immediately. Exactly, is exactly what I'm talking yeah, about yeah. here. I'm like, I'm not obviously. <laughs> They're like, what about the, the, the Star Sons Wars. or whatever the the track is from 
the beginning of A New Hope. And I'm like, yeah, it's great. I'm just saying, it's not, it's just not, they're not the same. It's not, and it's not even a question, honestly, of like the quality of the music. I don't even know that that's, you know what I mean? It's just, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's how, I don't know, it's just, it feels so perfect and builds, and importantly, the reason we're getting back to this and getting back to Game of Thrones is it builds the world. And I think that the lack of music in this, including what we were talking about before, which was, you know, bards and people in, in pubs and places where we often are, restaurants, where we don't ever hear local music, it hurts because we don't get to know what, you know, what do they listen to in King's Landing versus, you know, Vestothrak um, or, or whatever, these different places. We don't, we have no clue. If the, for all we know, they all listen to Reigns of Castamere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, exactly. Like, that seems to be the only song never that people listen to in this entire universe. <laughs> it's, and sing for some yeah, reason, yeah. exactly. Well, and you know, this is related to, I think, the geography problem because none of the areas in Game of Thrones outside of, like, you know, the major holds that we are introduced to, you know, like, we know Winterfell on the Wall, we know King's Landing, I guess we know Dorne now, um, maybe the Vale, too. But other than that, it's like everything in between is interchangeable. I don't... If, if, you, if there's a shot of Brienne standing in a field, I don't know if she is... In the Riverlands, I don't, I don't know where she is. She could be anywhere, because. Well, side note, we really don't know where. Yeah, she exactly. Is we have no idea where she is. in three episodes. She's gonna, her rowboat's gonna bump into uh, Gendry, episodes. I hope. Um, but I guess <laughs> it's like wh- she, she, she apparated all the way to um, Riverrun and then didn't make it back in time for the battle somehow, or after the battle, or anything. Yeah. Like, they could have just had... I mean, I don't know. I guess maybe they're having her go somewhere or do something or run into someone. I guess so, yeah. Because they they must be, because otherwise she would have been there at Winterfell. Mm-hmm. Or maybe they didn't want her there because they didn't want her to interfere with the Littlefinger stuff. I, I don't know. Uh, yeah. But it doesn't seem to... I mean, I guess, un- unless she show, you know, episode one is her arriving back at Winterfell, I assume maybe next season they'll have something else for her to do that she has to run across. Um, or she's just ashamed of not being able to... Not because she didn't complete her... Yeah. Task maybe that could be. Uh, that would <laughs> I would have at least hoped to have seen a scene of you know establishing that. <laughs> no, no, I'm saying we might get that. Oh, like maybe. I don't know, whatever. Yeah. The next time that we doesn't see her seem might like Brienne, either. Though. I mean, that's her whole theme is that she's always trying to serve people and she's constantly not really her fault. Like none of even this isn't her fault. She did everything she was supposed to do, but didn't manage to get them to come, or you know, protecting Renly or whatever. Anything she ever managed to do was find Sansa. So I, I could see, um, I could see them opening with her being like, "I can't face, you know, another loyalty failure again." Like that could be her, her little arc at the beginning of season seven, I guess. Season seven, yeah. Just a guess. I don't know because that, or she runs into somebody. I don't know why else she wouldn't be at Winterfell. Yeah, especially given you know, narratively, especially given the fact that they spent time, you know, to finish Sam's storyline this season. It's a little weird that they didn't yeah. have a, at least one scene of Brienne. We, we should get back to this King's Landing stuff, though, because there's a lot to say. Yeah, we really should. Yeah, we yeah. We were just saying we weren't going to do this, but then we did. <laughs> That's okay, though. Um, it's important. Yeah. But but again, the soundtrack, the soundtrack, the geography, it all, it all gets set up in the scene. Um, but I also just got to say, I love the shots of Cersei in this episode are so cool. Mm-hmm. And I love her, her outfit. Oh, my God, her outfit's incredible. It's so cool. It reminded me a lot of um, of Hunger Games. I don't know why. But it just it feels like that. No, it does. It, it looks kind of no. like that. The Mockingjay yeah. outfit. You know, less modern, obviously, but the same idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, and did you see? I sent I sent you a, a an article about this. But did you see that that little thing about the armor? Oh, I don't remember. Let me double check. 
so apparently, the, so there's, remember we talked about earlier in this season that John's armor that he puts on is, yeah. or that Stark armor, that, yeah, it was Stark armor that um, Sansa gives him. And I think in this case, uh, her armor is very emblematic or very similar to uh, Tywin's armor. Oh, interesting. As well. Yeah. That we see, or, or, you know, in one of the earlier seasons. The idea being that, you know, she's become the head of the house. Uh, and, yeah, I, I've decided to call her the Black Queen, you know, like the White Queen. From, uh, <laughs> I just, I feel like that's that that's very uh, appropriate. Um, especially because it, it's, I think it's also thematically, like, she's really, she's moved on from basically everything that was tying her down before. Uh, and the other thing I just want to say, somebody pointed this out. I don't know if this is accurate to Sansa. But they said, I read somewhere that every female character who assumes some sort of power role in this episode is wearing black. Which I thought that was a weird... Hmm. It's interesting. You know, a weird yeah, hmm. pattern. Um, one, of the th- one of the things I love about this, first of all, the audacity to um, open your episode with something like this is a real, I-, I really like. Because... I couldn't believe they were opening with this, because I knew it was coming, because yeah. we had been predicting it for a while, but... I was like, aren't you going to save this for the end of the episode? Exactly. Especially since the, everything that happens after this, for the most part, is kind of, is much more low-key. Um, yeah. So the, yeah, like you say, we, we kind of, we expected this to happen. We've been talking about it for a couple weeks. Um, although I will say, it still caught me by surprise the exact nature of what she was doing. I kind of thought she would set the, I thought that Cersei would, I knew she was going to use wildfire somehow. I thought maybe she would set the city on fire. Her literally blowing up the sept with everyone inside it uh, caught me by surprise. <laughs> right. <laughs> because right. just just the um, the idea of seeing an explosion on Game of Thrones uh, not something we see very often. Just given the last setting. time we saw something like this was the last yeah. time wild. Well, wildfire yeah, exactly. Blackwater. Um, the way that this scene is structured, though, is it's also structured to. Um, to uh, to catch you off guard because even if you know what's going to happen, it spends so much time uh, not doing it, but still kind of building up tension through the uh, through the editing. So you know something's about to happen, but everything but that is happening. They spend so much time on right. Loris and his confession, and um, you know Pycelle getting killed. When Pycelle gets killed, that's the big kind of that's the that's the turn I think because then you realize that Cersei is about to execute something. Really right. sinister, and it's at around that same time that uh, the reveal comes in that she's not in, this, not coming to the sept, uh, and then they were. She's not coming to the sept, and also she sends uh, the mountain to block. Yeah. Uh, Tommy, no. Does the mountain say anything? He says something in this scene, right? No, he he just puts his hand on his oh. shoulder. Oh, is that the only thing that happens? Yeah. Doesn't he take off his helmet too? Though? That's later. Oh, that's later. But he still doesn't say anything. Yeah, right? he doesn't say anything. Okay, sorry. I just. I was I had this weird, like strange memory that just appeared in my head that it's not real that he didn't actually say anything, um, <laughs> but uh, yeah yeah so it's around this point that you get that, uh, you get that reveal. Uh, by the way, I I thought the first of all, very different between Kyburn and Varys because Varys never would have had kids do something like murder people. Well, so that's an interesting. Not point. that we know of. Not that we know, but he was—he seemed horrified by the idea that anyone su- suggests that he would corrupt or like hurt kids. He had them spy, and that was about it. Yeah. Um, which I guess, in in a way, does put people in mortal danger. But, well, I will say, um, what's funny about you saying that is that, um, and this is a great example of something I'm going to talk about over the course of this episode, 
this episode in particular does a great job of taking things, taking scenes or like moments from the book and um, <laughs> adapting them like an adaptation should do. Uh, right. It, it adapts them by, it, it takes kind of the essence of these moments and puts them into the context of where the show is actually at, basically. Um, so what, this is the, uh, this is kind of taken from the epilogue of A Dance with Dragons, um, and this is actually Varys, basically. Varys does this, he shows back up in King's Landing, and he has his little birds assassinate uh, Kyburn and Kevin Lannister, actually. So, it is, is it is the... oh. Which is why I thought it was funny that you mentioned that. You're, on the show, you're right, he's very he's portrayed differently. But they, again, that's what that's a great example of what's happening in this moment. It's taking the essence of this scene from the book and adapting it to the uh, status quo of the show. Obviously, Varys isn't in King's Landing. and um, But so Kyburn's dead in the books. No, Kyburn's, uh, Kyburn's alive. He kill, uh, Pycelle, I mean. Did I say Kyburn? You did say Yeah, that. I meant Pycelle. So it is Pycelle's death. Okay, so both the same characters die, just in a different... Exactly, exactly. But yeah, it's but it's taking so Varys. You know, so Varys has some kills. Yeah, and the idea is that he's like um, sowing discord in King's Landing, uh, or something like oh. that. But again, yeah. But but it, she hasn't she hasn't done anything with wildfire or anything like no, that. No, not in the books, not yet. Uh-oh. But I'm sure it's coming. Jeez. I assume it is, although we don't know. Obviously, we. I mean, I don't know if this is the the thing George R. R. Martin said is going to happen, or well, yeah. if this is a separate. That's thing. A, that's a well. This is people have been theorizing. Um, for a while now, that she might do something like this in the books, just because in the books, you know, she's where she's at in the books right now is she's kind of uh, descending into madness. So people are suggesting that she might do something with the wildfire. Um, so I think right. it's a fair, even if George R. R. Martin didn't tell them, probably a fair assumption for them to make that something was going to happen with this. No, no, definitely, it's it fits for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, that's that's the that's you know what I'm struggling with. What I have struggled with this season is that. Um, we don't know how much of this is going to be. We don't know how much of this is representative of what the book is going to be. It could be all of it. Right. It could be none of it. And you know, we're just not going to find out until the damn book comes out. <laughs> right. Exactly. And even the same goes for the the last two seasons. Yeah. Um. After this, but I, I think also, uh, the thing I wanted to mention about Hysel's death is it reminded me a lot of Julius Caesar's death historically but also in the tv show rome um you know he stabbed 33 times by the senate members mm-hmm. and uh that's in this scene he's you know Pycelle's stabbed probably around 33 times or whatever um he stabbed a lot as uh as the kids sort of lay into him and it's a pretty brutal moment but i think it's just funny to me that it seems to call to another hbo show slash a historical event that uh that fits that fits pretty well. I don't know why. It, to me, it just it it very few deaths happen where there's like a bunch of people standing around all stabbing one person. Yeah. Um, um, so it immediately brought that to mind. So um, I'm just like thinking back to the scene. Like it does spend a lot of time on Lancel. Uh, you know him renoun- It does him confessing him renouncing his title, his name, and his title and everything. Loris, you mean? Oh yeah, I'm sorry, Loris. Well, I had Lancel. Too. He just it spends a lot of time on Lancel. Yeah, as well. exactly. But I'm yeah, sure but I'm, I meant Loris. Um, God, I'm so glad they're dead because that that was confusing. Um, <laughs> don't have to deal with that anymore. <laughs> um, although I gotta say, uh, I, I guess I'll say this now about Loris now that he's gone. Um, what a what a waste of a character. I gotta say, I, as he was kind of he's gotta go punch and kick people now. <laughs> That's right. He's Iron Fist. Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
when he was confessing, when he was talking about I lay with other men, including Renly Baratheon, I was thinking, like, you know, I've watched Game of Thrones since the beginning. Loras has been on here since season one, I think. Um, but if you ask me to name uh, 10, 15 gay characters on television, Loras would not come to mind. <laughs> <laughs> even though even though the only thing he's done on this show for six seasons is be gay that's Pretty the extent much. of his character but I would name 15 other gay characters from television shows before I even remember that Loris existed um, because that's all there ever was there was nothing memorable about him as a character other than his sexuality well again this show continues to do exactly what I wanted them to do and that's why I love the scene where everyone dies like mm-hmm. half the cast is gone yeah. Because, right? Mm-hmm. Because it is um it's it's what I was saying before, you know, they're just getting rid of it's kind of like when they I guess the House in Black and White ended up becoming relevant. Yeah, I guess it did. Yeah. But I was saying but around that time is when I was saying, you know, the show's just saying, Oh, if this isn't working, let's just cut it or let's just go somewhere else or do something some other thing or kill the character off because who cares? This this wasn't working in the books for us or we weren't sure how we were supposed to adapt this because we didn't know where it was going. And now we don't have to follow the books anyway, so let's just do our own thing. And so here it just feels like like, yeah, we didn't know what we were doing with Loris, we didn't know what we were doing with Lancel, uh, or the Tyrells, really anyone, so let's just murder well, yeah, because it's 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 convenient because it is the, it is a good con- perfect. It, it's a, it's a good conclusion to the High Sparrow arc. Uh, it is kind of yeah. the natural endpoint of of that whole plotline. But you also get to knock out, you know, the Terrell plotline wasn't really going anywhere. Uh, like you said, Loras never went anywhere. Uh, everything, you know, Lancel obviously was part of the Sparrows, but he's gone. Um, right. Tommen is gone, kind of just as a side note. <laughs> yep. Uh, but yeah, it is. Loris is gone. I, I saw someone on... to focus on the characters who are more relevant. Yeah. Too. I mean, that allows Elena to come to to have a a role of like a focus and whatnot. It allows Cersei to move forward into her next, her final form or whatever. <laughs> and so I think that these, you know, it, it it's also enabling other plot lines as well. I saw someone on Twitter. I don't remember who, but they said something like. Uh, this is like how in the penultimate episode of Boy Meets World, they found excuses to shuttle off all the latecomers to the series so that the finale could just be original cast. Um, right, and they said exactly. that's what this episode reminded them of. It's like they're they're getting rid of everything that was introduced after season one, basically, so that when they end the show, it can be with all the, you know, everyone who was there from the beginning. Interesting, yeah. I, I think that's a lot of those characters, although Elena's still around. Elena's still around. I mean, uh, yeah, it's, it's not all of them, obviously, but it is... Uh, it's the same idea. And even, you know, yeah. like Davos. Or certainly, Davos. at the very least, just trimming the fat. Just trimming, I mean, the, the cast got bigger and bigger, but it wasn't... The thing is, the show did it, but George R. R. Martin himself has run into problems with this in his writing his books. It's like, you know, just randomly adding characters isn't necessarily a good thing. And what boggles my mind is every time I read, a, you know, some book reader's summation or commentary on a scene and they go well they didn't introduce this character but that would have required this character and that character and this other character and this other character and this other character i'm like oh my god thank god they didn't do that this show is so overcrowded already and i guarantee you these 10 characters can be folded into one character or cut out of the story and as it turns out a lot of them can because they weren't going anywhere it's just like whenever there's something that was necessary or like that needed to happen i don't know what his process is but it just seems like characters He's got like a billion characters going on. Well, but at it's once, also the books are so much really necessary. The what the difference is that the books are so are so much denser than the show. Um, 
that you know obviously there's a lot of characters because it, he is creating a very uh layered and intricate world in a way that the show doesn't the show is telling a story and it gets problematic when it has a lot of characters because the story becomes overcomplicated george r r martin is right. also telling a story but you know he is doing that through the uh through the creation of this world basically uh, so he can have he can afford to have you know characters who only show up once, but they're connected to a million other people. Uh, right. He can do that because it's all going to the to fleshing out the world that they live in, basically. So now you know, even though your character might never show up again, now you know a little bit more about how the world operates. Uh, you get a little, and you know, no, none of these characters are really throwaway. They're all because he's a good writer, you know, for the most part. Uh, kind of, you know, unique presences for whatever time they spend on the page. Uh, but, like, you know, the show can't do that because it is a – just because of the nature of the medium, it can't really uh, create a really Well, yeah, dense but I was world. just – I was reading – I was reading about – well, I mean, but yeah, but even we've talked about this before with, you know, with the Iron Isles and that whole moot thing that was supposed to have that other character, but, you know. Yeah. No, I mean, you're right. It is – How much did he add to the the story? Well, he has a lot to the story. Half the time when I hear about it, I'm like, okay, well, they folded that into another character. No, no, that's the the thing. Victorian, who you're talking about, he adds a lot to the story in the books. He has a lot to do, but the books have the the added space to do that, basically. Um, There's – in a compressed – you know, in the necessarily compressed format. Right, I guess my my irritation is just in the – yeah, right. In the translation is they tried to do that a lot, and I think that they got lost in all of the characters that they had. Like, they had no idea what to do with – why did the show ever introduce um, uh, Kevin Lannister? <laughs> yeah, you know, just why? What was the point of that? He 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 served basically no role, and I'm sure someone else could have done it. Making Bronn the captain of the Kingsguard instead of whatever. Like I remember that whole thing. That made so much sense because you know what is this other character going to contribute to the story? You know that kind of thing. Um, but right, it's in the translation. Although, but I'll also say. As we know, George R. R. Martin also wrote an entire storyline for a character he killed off and forgot he had killed off. So, you know, I think he gets a little lost in the uh, the. No, he does. I mean, he fully admits that he has to consult the wiki for his own books sometimes while he's writing. Oh, yeah. Which is hilarious. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, of course he does. It is. Yeah, of course he does. He gets lost in the uh, in the mire of what he's created. But it is uh, – if he, if he sticks the landing, then it's worth it, um, I, I think. Yeah, sure. I, I and I couldn't I couldn't speak to this but, because as you know there's a stark contrast. Yeah. But I uh, your perspective in mind because you've read the books and I have not. I agree with you about the uh, <laughs> especially with you know now nah, well I mean the Tyrells certainly did a lot while they were on screen but I think season two which I think is where they were introduced uh, maybe Elena came in season three um, but you know I think around season two uh, when they were trying to when they got into this mode of like we're gonna do one book a season uh, that's when they thought they were gonna do that. We're going to do one book a season. They got into this trap, basically, of, you know, what do we include and what don't we? Um, What do we think? They didn't know, basically, what they could afford to cut at the time. Right. Um, Exactly. You know, like, you know, in uh, Shireen has this kind of uh, um, uh, this this jester friend who is uh, um, like he 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 died after drowning uh, so he is uh, he is uh, mentally deficient, and but he talks in these kind of weird prophecies, like he knows things are gonna happen. And his name is Patchface because his face is all is all weird. It's a great he's a great 
fun character, but I think the showrunners were like, we don't really need to have him on screen. <laughs> um, but maybe then they got to someone like, I don't know, I mean, like, you know, probably Olena, and they were like, well, yeah, we, pro- we really don't need to have her on screen, but can we, do we know that we can afford to lose her if later in the story we do this? Because, you know, you know, you don't know if you have all of these elements, you know, rushing forward. You can't really tell, uh, you can't see all the way down the track. So you don't really, you kind of have to just you don't. roll the dice with including some characters or not. But because they rolled the dice on a lot of stuff in the early days uh, that ended up being not super uh, relevant, <laughs> um, they kind of screwed themselves. And this is a great example, you know, this season. This I think Dorne was a great Dorne's I mean, I, a I like. Example. I like Oberyn. Yeah. But A, his storyline could have just ended. Like, his introduction could have, that could have ended, that could have just, you know, sort of insinuated there's more to this world and then cut it off. Or you could have just not had Oberyn in the show. I don't really know how important he was to the plot. Well, his only, his, because ultimately... Yeah, his only function was, his, to be the, was to be Tyrion's champion and die. But someone has Tyrion's to do that. Tyrion's champion and die. Someone has which to you do could have gotten someone else to do, and then well, but who? But catalyze who? this whole thing with Doran, which has been just a complete disaster. Anyway, well, well, no, that's the, the thing. Like, who else do you get to fulfill that role? Because you, first, you have the choice of a. You have a character who you know you know you can introduce to fulfill the role that the character is supposed to fulfill, or you can right. choose another character to do that. But you know that the end of that line is they're going to die, and that other character probably has their own path, their own intended path. Um, so do you? I think that needlessly complicates things, and you certainly can do it, um, or you can create an original character. But if you're well, going to do that, then why gonna... not just use Oberyn? Well, yeah, but you could use Oberyn and then just cut it off. You don't have to keep doing the Dorn storyline. The problem well, I mean, is I now agree with you there. I'm, you know, obviously they. So I'm just, I'm just saying that like he's a good example of of just. I, I understand, and I'm not saying that they should have cut him or cut cut Dorn. Well, yeah, they should have cut Dorn. They should have cut Dorn. But um, I'm, <laughs> but I'm just. It becomes. It's just it, it's frustrating sometimes because you, and and I'm frustrated for them, you know, because I know that it's you know they, they're not psychic and they don't know. Maybe Dorn was going to play, a, you know, maybe and maybe in the books this is true. Dorn will play a key role. Well, in the I final. mean, it seems like the only role that Dorn is playing going forward is that now it's an it's an ally for Daenerys to have in her conquering of Westeros, which is a, you know which I don't understand. Which is a fair no, I think it's a fair enough reason to at least, you know. In, to get viewers to have a familiarity with Dorne, because if Daenerys is going to um, ally with them in her in her conquest, then we probably want to have an idea of who they are. Do they have soldiers? Do they have any? Yeah, they send ships. We see them use? at the end. We didn't see. Uh, there were no Dorne ships. Yeah, there were. Yeah, there no, were ships. Weren't. There were ships with the Martell sigil. There were. With the Martell sigil. Yep. Really. Yep. Oh, okay, maybe there were. <laughs> but yeah, but that's the. the that's the only real reason that I would argue. I didn't even realize they had ships. Oh yeah, they're like a. Uh, like I didn't realize they have a navy. They're like a coastal uh, city. Oh, okay, all right. I didn't realize. All right. I mean, all look, right. I don't okay. blame you I because we only see that one porch, so obviously <laughs> none of this stuff is well, exactly. But yeah, that was my, my that was my broader point. It's <laughs> just, just that like. You know what? The Sand Snakes are going to join the cause, and they'll really change the situation. Yeah, it's like. Um, Can you imagine if we had a final battle in season eight, where Miguel Sapochnik comes back, directs the finale, and we have to have these like cutaway scenes to the Sand Snakes <laughs> doing their like weird choreography <laughs> with their whips and stuff. It's like in um in Mass Effect three, how you collect war assets, and they each have like a numerical value that add to your yeah yeah, your, yeah. Uh, you know war preparedness. Um, it's like. 
we didn't really know what Dorn had to offer other than these four people. Yep. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and they're like values. Yeah, yeah. Nothing. Um, for individual but fighters. But anyway. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, so, anyway, so getting back to <laughs> Getting back to, to the, the opening scene. scene. <laughs> it's a good scene. It's really good. I, it, I like the, the dread that it sort of induces as it as you realize what's coming. Um, I thought it was a little melodramatic, the whole Lancel Lannister crawling towards this candle. Oh, also, why... Did you like that? Um, here's Well, I mean, first, I, I still don't get why... I Okay, I, I, the, I've, I've justified it in my head as they needed to distract him so that he wouldn't go get the queen, I guess. Um, but there were also other people with him who presumably would continue on getting the queen without him. So I, I, right. I, my question is basically why did they have to lure him into the tunnel to end stab him? Um, so that we could see the wildfire. Well, I mean, yeah, the the filmmaking reason is that so that we have a perspective for the camera to lock to to be in the tunnel when it happens, because um, right. it would be kind of awkward if they kept cutting back to the tunnel and no one. Well, they was could in have it. just cut to the candle. They could have, but it it adds the extra kind of t- you know it adds the tension of the reveal to have someone literally crawling towards it, and they probably could have done that you know without having an actual person there, but I think it would have been a little clunkier. It, it adds something more to have. The actual, you know, an actual presence there. Sure, yeah, but it's just this ridiculous scene of him instead of going to the, uh, like, I, I would have tried to escape. After someone stabbed me, I would have tried to get out and get help or something. Well, you can only crawl. Uh, I mean, just... he, he's got to make a choice. Do you go, uh, he was pretty far down in the tunnels, and he sees light. I think maybe the implication is that he doesn't, you know, he sees maybe a, a closer way out. Um it looked like he had just come in the tunnel. I didn't think it was that far in. Well, like, there's a couple different cuts of him He comes following. right through the door, and then he's like in a big T and decides to go for the one place where there's no door. I, I, it's just a, it was just a weird moment to me. Was, I, 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 mean, I get it. It's fine. It's whatever. You know, yeah, I mean, really, it's just so we can get the, uh, the tension of him. <laughs> Will he get to the candle to blow it out? And by the way, I screamed when I saw the candles in the pool of wildfire. That's brilliant. You liked it? Yeah, it's brilliant because, like, I was like, oh, of course, that's how you would light a fuse on a bomb in, you know, medieval times. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> That's exactly. how you time it out. You use a candle. That's that's genius. Um, yeah. And I didn't I didn't expect that he's... that's how they would go. I thought, you know, with the torch, I thought maybe... Well, I thought he was going to... I thought we were going to have some stupid scene where he's blowing, but he doesn't... That doesn't really happen. But that would have been really funny if he's, like... <laughs> or if he gets one, but not the other. Yeah, I, well, I, I thought know. that... Um, I thought the idea initially was that he has the torch, right? Or, like, the kid drops the torch and he picks it up. So I thought the idea was that he was going to... Uh, they were going to trick, to him, trick him into going down there and accidentally setting it off with the torch, um, which would be a better justification for getting him down well, there. Well, also, I, I guess he doesn't know what wildfire is, but as soon as I saw wildfire, I would immediately be putting the torch out. <laughs> yeah, right? I mean... <laughs> I'd be like, yeah, 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 okay, stop. <laughs> I mean, the wildfire, by the way, looks kind of ridiculous. That's my only gripe with this entire scene, is that the wildfire <laughs> looks like Nickelodeon gack. It does. It does, but it looked like that, you know, in... It did. In, uh, before as well. Um, last thing I just want to say is that uh, Elena really did lose her shot, and you know, at this... At, at having any sort of future. Because uh, Cersei did extend a sort of an olive branch. Mm-hmm. And a couple of episodes ago, and that really throwaway little scene, and I guess that was it. That's when she just decided, "All right, <laughs> guess you're gonna die. All your family's gonna die. Mm-hmm. Bye." So here's a question that I have for you, because I want to get your thoughts on this. Obviously, the conclusion of this whole thing is that um, 
there's a little bit what we can talk about maybe this stuff with Septa Unella, uh, but the, really the yeah. conclusion of all of this is Tommen jumping out the window. Um, again, perfect pacing of this moment, just hanging on the window. You see the smoke outside, and at first yeah, I was, lockdown, okay. when I was watching that, I was like, oh, that's you know an interesting kind of you know way to settle the scene down, the moment down. Yeah, right. right. <laughs> just like we're just kind of gonna watch the smoke from out the window, and then he comes back and he jumps out the window. Um, yep. Really, really After shocking. After taking his crown off. Yeah. Really, really well done kind of uh, surprise, especially since then it cuts to, uh, it doesn't cut to, then we hear Walter Frey say, like, uh, long live the Lannisters or something. Right, right, right. <laughs> um, so my question to you is, do you think Cersei expected Tommen to do that? Nope. That's interesting. Because... Yeah, at first I had I imagined that this was part of her because she sits on the Iron Throne at the end of the episode so I imagined okay this yes, is part is. of her plan obviously um, to you know ascend to the Iron Throne but that requires Tommen's death and the one yeah, thing no, we know about Cersei's character is that you know despite all of her evilness uh, she loves her children and she cares about her children she would never harm them so I agree with you I don't yep. think that she expected Tommen to kill himself um but I was—I just had to wonder, like, what did, if she didn't? What did? What was the situation she expected after that? Basically, Tommen is still the oh, king. Oh, it's it, the effective. I mean, if her goal was to have control over the seven kingdoms, she would have had that anyway, because she would have done it. I don't know. I mean, doing something rash like that—you know—it's kind of like the, you know, the the. I'm trying to think of an example, like an. <laughs> Like the crazy, the crazy one in a relationship who goes and does something brash and over the top, and like something really, definitely way over the line in the creepy zone, or the and be like, why you don't like this? You know, like I cut all my hair off for you and mailed it to you. Like this, why don't you like this? You know, like that kind of weird thing. So you know, and then you know, so it's kind of like she dealt with the issue she saw, which was the High Sparrow and the Tyrells, got rid of them but predominantly the, the High Sparrow and the Sparrows. Got rid of them, and then was hoping that, I guess, that Tommen would be able to, be you know, that he, of course he would be upset, but that he would sort of get over it, and then she could reassert her role as what she's, what she's been trying to do since Joffrey, mm. which is really run the kingdom sort of through them and be a manip not a manipulator, not to take advantage of the kid, but basically you know, guide, quote-unquote, Tom into the correct answer, which yeah. is whatever she's trying to get done. No, you're right. And I think that's... So I think she would have done that if Tom had stayed alive. I don't think it would have changed the situation. At the end, it's sort of, you know, her acceptance of... Not of, like, oh, now I'm in power, yay. It's more of a, like, I have nothing else to live for. And I think you can see it on Jamie's face. That this that she is really far gone. Yeah. No, you're right. I, I, I... And by the way, Jamie's so done with her. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see where that goes. So done because this is like his whole arc was because of this. Mm-hmm. Was because he didn't want someone to do this, and now his sister has gone so far off that she's done this, and it makes me think he's going to actively work against her. Not just they're done. I think he may be the one who kills her. May I could def definitely I I agree with you on that prediction. That would be poetic as hell. Uh, yeah. That would be really well, cool. I mean, Jamie has always kind of vacillated in terms of his uh, uh, hero status on the show, um, but I think 
by this point, he's pretty firmly a, you know, as, as, as much of a good guy as you can get. Um, he's certainly not a bad guy. Save for his allegiance to her. But exactly. if that gets severed, but, and, and she can now is be now, a queen slayer. And as of this episode, she is now, like, a primary villain. For the, you know, she's always been a primary villain, but she is now, like... Uh, she's the villain. She is the villain. Aside from the White Walkers, yeah, she's the main antagonist. Um, I don't. Yeah. There aren't really even any more antagonists, period, because, you know... I've, there aren't. Ramsey's dead. Walter Frey is dead. I mean, yeah, who's left except there for... are characters who don't like each other. Like, there's the the whole, you know, whether or not Daenerys or John or the rest of them. They're probably not. I don't know how close they're going to be, mm. uh, ultimately. But um, there's no bad guys right now. Yeah, except for Cersei, as far as we can tell. Except for Cersei. Yeah, so exactly. I, I I think I have to imagine that in the end game that we're going into, Jamie is not going to be on the side of full evil Cersei. Right, right. Yeah, no. I um, I would think that would be a very strange choice for him because he didn't do any. It's not like he's too far gone. He didn't do anything. He came back to her having done something absolutely abysmal. Uh, when he did everything he could to keep people alive and do his whole river run thing as simply and calmly as possible, very different approaches. Um, so I really like this scene. Oh, by the way, Cersei. Uh, in charge. That's another woman ascending to power yep. in um, Game of Thrones. Uh, only to be supplanted, I would presume, by another woman, that being Daenerys or somebody. Probably. Uh, so, so right, exactly. Um, I think uh, I really like the scene where she's torturing the Septa. By the way, it's not like a. There's not much to get into, but I, I just really enjoyed it. I thought the. I love the shot of her. I, I think we're gonna put this in the article, so you can probably see it. Um, but the shot of her pouring wine, I guess, yeah, on her face, so cool, such a cool shot. Um, it's it's awful. I mean, it's sadistic, and it's this, you know. Yeah, actually, I was a little off put by that scene. Um, really, I gotta say, yeah. If just because, like, I don't know if I know Septuunel has been part of this storyline for a while, and specific, excuse me, uh, specifically uh, Cersei's role in it, but I don't know if she really. Uh, deserved uh, this kind of specific, you know, uh, brutal torment when the High Sparrow, who was really the guy in charge, just got killed off with everyone else. I know that Cersei had a grudge against her, but in terms of the character's prominence, it seemed a little much to have this, you know, to have this whole really? scene that's oh, about that's her being, you know, really uh, horribly tortured. We, God knows what the mountain is supposed to do with her. I don't know what the implication is supposed to be there. Um, it just looked like he was, you know, breaking bones or that kind of awful thing. I, I, honestly, it's not. I don't like scenes like this in general. But Cersei doesn't usually do things quite like this. And so, you know, if this was a, a, a Ramsey scene, or if we get a lot more Cersei scenes like this, I might eventually start to be. But I like, you know, an established. I didn't hate it the first time it happened with Ramsey. It was the four thousandth time. I was like, all right, okay, we get it. Um, you know, at first it's intriguing, then it's just horrible. Um, in this case, you know, first of all, she was this this Septa was established as being an absolutely terrible person, and the one who directly enacted. I know she wasn't in charge of everything, but she directly enacted all of the torture on Marjorie, on Loras, on on the rest of them. Which, of course, Cersei doesn't care about Marjorie and and Loras, but this was, um, you know, as a viewer, you know, she was. It's like the ex. It's like torturing the torturer. I mean, she is the she was the bad guy in that sense. Um, 
So I'm not like I wasn't relishing it. I just I liked it. It was a new look for Cersei, a very different look, and it it fit her outfit and her eventual and her clear descent into a very different person than she's been, which is one who doesn't seem to care and has really become the you know the new Mad King. Well, someone who doesn't have to care, I think, is what the scene is ultimately about: is that she has no one. There is no uh, structure in place anymore that to check uh, her. yeah that prevents her from doing anything other than what she wants to do. Uh, there's yeah. no you know other kings. There's no other houses. Uh, there's no high sparrow. There's no one who keeps her in check anymore. And she, like she says, she's just going to do things that make her feel good. Uh, and that is a disturbing prospect for Cersei. It is, but that's what has me excited about, you know, seeing her more. I mean, listen, I think one of her best roles is, uh, one of Lena Headey's best roles is in uh, in Dread, where she plays another sadistic character who does a lot of horrible stuff like this. Um, and I think, I just, I, I think she's very good at it. She doesn't often get to do, you know, there's the scheming and the rest of it, which is fine, but I, I think she's, she's good at this, this kind of weird, gross, over-the-top role that almost seems like it should be in a horror movie or... It's some horrible thing, and uh, you know she does it. She does it well. Well, here, here's a question um, that just occurred to me, and um, we'll go on to everything else in the episode <laughs> soon. <laughs> but to be fair, this is a good chunk of the episode. It is, yeah. Um, and we're getting, you know, we're getting to the ending stuff too as well with Cersei. Um, but it's interesting that it, it is a curious message that they're, you know, kind of because, like, like I said. This is all about Cersei overthrowing the structures that have kept her down, but the structure that's sure. kept her down is the there is the um, the patriarchal, uh, you know, uh, monarchy uh, sure. that has existed in King's Landing for so long. It is very specifically the uh, the you know the patriarchal hegemony uh, that has that that she's talking about, but and now she's replaced it with a. Uh, matriarchal rule and the it's an it's interesting that the show is because you talked about all season you talked about all season how this season was very focused on uh women overthrowing kind of male power structures and taking control sure, yeah. um and the show is giving us in an example of that uh with uh very negative implications <laughs> um certainly you know we've obviously had daenerys ruling for many seasons with no real like there's there were some imperialist implications but that was separate from i think her gender um but this is a they're giving us an example of a patriarchy being overthrown and replaced by a matriarchy and it is not a uh positive portrayal of that of that process no, i would agree but but i don't think that it's i don't think you know it, it doesn't have to be you don't have to they don't have to be positive i agree with you examples I agree. of this you know what i mean it, women when i said women are taking over it's not like women are taking over and everybody hugs you know there will be bad ones and good ones just like there would be with men um certainly if Cersei, certainly if cersei's taking over you're going to get that but um it's just a different it's a different dynamic and something we don't you know that wasn't true of the universe before so yeah it is interesting but i don't think i think what's interesting is that she decided to kill the high sparrow instantly but decides to take out her wrath on the f- sort of female leader of the sparrows if you could consider her that or high highest up female character we know of the sparrows because she's the only one we know or of the seven or the followers of the seven um and that's who she takes her torture out on and it's not clear if she does that because she feels like you know she's sort of saying no you're you're is you're in charge of 
or I'm holding you responsible because we're both women or I, I don't know. It's sort of like got a, an interesting, I think that's also interesting because she could have taken the high sparrow or kidnapped him before this all went down or done some other thing to try and focus her energies on torturing him. But instead she chooses to focus on this particular person who is a woman. And I think that's, I think that's also interesting in this context. Um, but I, I, I don't think, I mean, I, I agree that it's not, a, it's not a positive portrayal. I don't know, but the overall idea is that, it's just a shift in gender, not that that's a good or a bad thing. It's just different. Well, no, I'm saying that's what I, you know, to, to clarify, I'm sa- that's what I like about it. I agree with you. Because oh. I think it would be so pat, it's so trite if the show was saying, oh, now that women are taking over, it's everything's going to be better because, you know, you know, obviously. Well, that's just, it's stupid. It's not, yeah, well, it's, look, that's look, not even I mean, true. Look, it's can, not true in real history. <laughs> but, that's, but that's the thing. That is the kind of, um, look, I consider myself a feminist, but that is the very, um, watered-down, commercialized kind of uh, media feminism that's really popular right now, especially with these stupid, goddamn, woke pundits who are like, oh, this movie is uh, not as feminist as this movie. It's like, shut up. It is the, just the, I'm just sick of people, you know, measuring, like, as if you can measure a movie's feminism in percentage points. Uh, <laughs> like, something's more, it's like, no, that's not how you should approach art. I'm sick of it. So I like that Game of Thrones is basically kind of refuting that entire way of looking at art and saying, no, we're not going to say that, uh, you know, it, it, we're not going to put a value judgment on uh, what women in this show do or don't do because women are people, and there can be good women and there can be bad women, and they can do good things and they can do bad things. And it doesn't mean it's not... It's less feminist because women are shown doing bad things. It it's just right. it's just how you know people are. It's just it's how people are. No, what the important thing was changing the power structure. As yeah. for what they do with that power, you know, who knows? Exactly. So that's you know, I, Game of Thrones has has been subject to uh, probably more. I, I imagine more think pieces than any other show in its day. I have to, I have to imagine. Um, obviously, you know, the think piece industrial complex is kind of a recent invention, but, uh, in no, probably in, in no small part, thanks to Game of Thrones, honestly, because every week there was just a new thing to write about. Um, Mm. but so it's, I I like that they are usually, I've talked in the past on here about how it, uh, it bugged me how they would kind of very, very transparently try to court, uh, that kind of controversy. Um, but I actually like in this instance how they're not catering to a particular uh a particular read how people how i think people want to read their show you know like i feel like a a lot of people want especially with the uh, daenerys worship um which boggles my goddamn mind not that i don't like daenerys but seriously chill out with the daenerys stuff it's like she's a i like her she's a cool character but people are yas queen slay it's like she's a flawed very flawed person but that that like phrase that whole thing Mm. It's so, it just drives me up a, up the wall. Because <laughs> yep. At some point, it had value. I don't know, you know. I don't think I ever encountered it during that phase of its existence. But it's just the most. Every time any remotely famous female person or character does anything, it's the response that we yeah. get now, and it's just like it means nothing. Yeah. You've, you've you've literally eliminated the meaning of that phrase. And it's because it's attached. especially since exactly. what's, what's frustrating is it couldn't be more relevant here. Like in the literal sense, she's literally yeah. a queen who literally <laughs> slays people all the time, and now you've just. But by this point, you know you've used it on every you know minor politician to like 
musicians to, you know i don't even know what it means anymore like <laughs> yeah it, it, and anyway. especially attached to a character like daenerys who like i said like you know it's i think it's very often tagged to like you know the badass characters when they do something badass yeah. and cool and they like you know sunglasses gif deal with it um like that kind of action yeah. But a lot of the times when Daenerys does that, like it's not really a thing maybe we should be celebrating. Like she all the times that she is uh killing or colonizing non white people on the show. <laughs> should we really be well, Yeah, that's a that's should we really be like saying, Oh yes, Queen, I love that you're doing this. Like you know, I I, I think like I said, I like Daenerys as a character. I don't think everything that she does is worthy of celebration. But white feminism is a thing? I've never heard of this. <laughs> I mean this yeah, it, well. Oh yeah. man, there's so many there's so many thoughts going on in my head right now that I can't even get into, but I feel like I'm transmitting them to you psychically. No, I think we are exactly definitely on the same wavelength on this. Okay. Issue. Yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, so yes, uh, all of that said, we've got to get through the rest of this. Yeah. Um, oh, so, I, so I like the the torturing. I, I really like the lockdown shot with Tommen when he leaves and comes back and jumps off. I did see an image beforehand of somebody. I think it was there was like an image that said, you know, when you find out that you have to wait a year before the next season of Game of Thrones because those come out every year, and it had a picture of Tommen in the in a window, yeah, or somebody in a window, and I was like, what is that? And I was like, oh shit, this is from the, oh, this is from the finale, isn't it? And then I just clicked away from it and tried to. I always try and wash my brain out just by like looking at other things, and it often works, but in this case, I didn't really forget, so I was kind of expecting it, but. It was still really good, and I didn't know how the scene played out at all, and it's really cool. I really like this shot. And by the way, locking down the camera and having someone walk off camera, walk off uh, out of frame and back in, that never happens. Yeah, right? So cool. It's, um, oh my god. So yeah, it was really good. Miguel Sapache, uh, I miss him next season so much. Yeah, but again, I feel like, you know, it's sort of a misnomer to call next season season seven and then the last season season eight because it's a shortened one. Yeah. It's sort of like season... 7.5. I'm going to miss him be... next year, I guess I should say. Yeah, next year. Because I just, I mean, he will be part of the final stretch. And I'm sure they're going to bring sure. him back for the finale. At this point, he's he's directed the best shot, best received, and highest rated sh- episodes. Why wouldn't they? Um, he, he basically, because this season was, I like this season in a lot of ways. Uh, I think it was probably one of, the, it might be my favorite season since season one. Mine, it is um, mine, but, I know. Yeah, and so I think that, but I think that you, there was sort of, from people watching, there was some ambivalence, and he brought it back to highest ratings ever, which I think is not a small thing to do. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so, yeah, so this, I really like the Tommen thing, and then it cuts to Walder Frey. Um, he, he, first of all, I love him trying to bond with Jamie <laughs> like they have anything in common. <laughs> yeah. Um, this scene is just pathetic. And I love Jamie shutting him down. Just why? Why do we need you again? Mm-hmm. And he, I love him considering: should I do? I should I say this, or should I just keep my mouth shut? And Frey just keeps pushing, so he just goes for it, and he just shuts him down, and it's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. And Walder Frey's like, "What?" I gotta say, I'm gonna miss Walder Frey. I really am because oh, he's great. Yeah, he's. I mean, he's one of the few. I don't know why anyone tolerates him in the show, but he's <laughs> yeah, he's fun to watch. He is one of those. Uh, there are very few minor villains on the show that are like uh, genuinely compelling and uh, as characters. Walter Frey is a compelling character, and he and he lays it out in the scene with Jamie. He talks about how uh, he's the kind of guy who, like Tywin, will kind of send other people out to do the dirty yep. work. 
but he's also the kind of guy who will stand there and watch it happen. Um, yep. <laughs> he is. It's not about being. A, and he's also nowhere near as smart or as talented. As well, yeah, it, he's not about being like you know. To excuse the pun, he's not about being above the fray. Uh, you know what I mean? Uh, I, I got to. Sorry. You you drop those all the time. I had to get one in. Well done. <laughs> uh, but he's not about. It's not about being like too good to dirty his hands with this stuff. It's it's about like he's old and he literally can't. But he is he's perfectly happy to stand there and watch it happen, as we see in the red wedding. Yeah, but then when he talks about it, he talks about when he was younger and how he didn't really do that then either. He just let other people fight. Well, yeah, I mean, him. Jamie kind of. I think Jamie kind of tries to embarrass him with the implication that he is. That he is not a fighter. It does it really well. For, he's like horrified. He's like, "Well, I thought we were friends, basically." And it's, it's just, yeah. Mm. Um, but but I think that I think that I think it's David Bradley who does. Yeah, I think so. Plays Walter Frey. He he really I think also is, sells all of this. He's, he's such fantastic. a good actor. He's really good. He's really good. He and he was excellent in. Um, he was in Harry Potter too, yep. right? He was. Uh, um, he's just fantastic. Uh, fantastic actor. Uh, and. I think that's a large part of why this character works because in a lesser actor or in an actor who creeps me out or weirds me out, he doesn't. I don't know why. He just, you know, he seems like he's, he would be a lot of fun to hang out with in real life, like the actual <laughs> actor, which is probably what why the things he says, which are just heinous, don't totally bother me. Well, that's the thing, yeah. You know, he's a, he's a, he's obviously a loathsome character. Everything he does on screen is just disgusting. Um, oh, it's horrible. You know, but like, and Ramsey was like that too, but I hated when Ramsey was on screen. I liked watching Walter Frey, even as everything he did horrified me. <laughs> right. Um, because he was a compelling, you know, because he was more than just, he as a character, he was more than the things he did. There was more to him. And obviously the performance was, was very fun to watch. Uh, as a villain, he was just a an, an interesting presence, and I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to miss him. Yeah, and I like that we're talking about him in the past tense because oh yeah, just a little bit later. I guess do you want to just skip to that? We might. I mean, yeah, we've been we've been skipping around a little already. We might as well. All right. So, did you see this coming? Did you realize that that character was? Well, here's the thing. Um, no, <laughs> I didn't. Yeah, me neither. Because you saw it coming with the old lady on the bridge and the wave. Yeah. Well, the reason I didn't is because uh, this is a this is the second example of uh, the show kind of taking. Adapt, taking something and adapting it to its current circumstances, but you know the essence, the essence of something great from the books. Uh, in the books, from what I remember, and I'm gonna be like totally wrong. Um, this you remember the character at the end with the uh, King in the North stuff, uh, Lord Manderley? Yeah. Yeah. So in the books, basically. Uh, Davos spends most of the fifth book uh, in Manderley's dungeon, basically, uh, and because he's come there to like treat with them on Stannis's behalf. And near the end of that storyline, Wyman Manderley comes to talk to him and says, "You know, I'm only pretending to be with the Boltons. Uh, you know, my son died at the Red Wedding. I hate them. I'm just waiting them out, but I have a plan, and I'm going to destroy them." And um, there is an implication that he makes, basically. Uh, I'm actually just looking it up now. Basically, that um, there are uh, they he he has a wedding feast at one point with Roose Bolton and and uh and the Freys and Walter Frey, and uh, he serves three meat pies, and uh, beforehand there had been talk of three Freys mysteriously going missing, so the implication uh. is that he has killed had them killed and cooked into pies and fed them to the Freys, um, 
which is really gruesome and awesome. And he's a he's a fun character in the books, and he gives a great speech. It's very that he Eric gives to Cartman. Uh, yeah, so he they've taken the kind of essence of of Frey Pie, and uh, and I think it's funny, especially that they introduce this character later in the episode as just completely nothing. Uh, but it's great because Frey Pie is such a you know gross but you know but but fun idea. Uh, just the concept of is it. I, well, I think it is. It's 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 a. But the scene was done in South Park already. There's a whole scene where Eric Cartman feeds. I the, I'm you, not a. Have you seen this? I'm not a South Park. I believe you. I've never really seen South Park except for the movie. There's, um, there's a whole there's a whole seek. I, I don't remember the the plot line, but basically Eric Cartman convinces there's a, somebody who's bullying him or or keeps. He just really wants to be cool and hang out with him, and he keeps, I guess, manipulating him. I think is what happens. And he starts to realize it, and he's, like, much younger than this kid. And so, like, it's just, it's very subtle. And we, or, sorry, it's very, um like, sort of, you know, just schoolyard bullying. Uh, and, of course, Eric Cartman takes it way too far, um, because when he realizes what he's doing and decides, all right, if you're going to play it that way. And they end up having this, like, chili competition or chili cook-off or something like that. And he lets him eat this entire bowl before he tells him that he had killed his parents and put it and made it into him into chi- into made them into chili. And it's just like the the contrast of what what this kid was doing to bully him versus his reaction, which is so over the top, is hilarious and very classically well, South Park. My my mind um, went. But it's to, just um... funny that you mentioned that this happened now because all I could think of was Eric Cartman serving. Uh... <laughs> My this mind, kid's parents to him. My mind went to uh, both the movie Hannibal, the Ridley Scott movie, which in which uh, he Hannibal has someone eat parts of his own brain, um, <laughs> which is the only good scene in that movie. And uh, the t- <laughs> and the TV show Hannibal did it too. Uh, he has um, he cuts off someone's legs and feeds them to him, and that scene is is hysterical because it's not like a thing here where it's disguised. He literally, it's like a roasted leg on a plate, you know, beautifully prepared. Oh God. Obviously, it looks gorgeous. Um, just the uh, just the the setting and everything, it's it's beautiful. But it's a leg. <laughs> it's clearly a leg. There you have there you have it, audience. Josh uh, has cannibalistic tendencies. Yeah, clearly. Well, that's why I love Hannibal wow. so much. Ew. <laughs> um, um, but that's a yeah, it's not in a. It's a concept that's come up before in other things. Well, for sure. but I just I'm thinking. But the reason I bring it up is the reason it's used in that context is to show how incredibly over the top and straight up crazy and murderous Cartman is. And in this case, the character doing it is Arya, who apparently has completely lost her mind. Yeah. Well, that's why I didn't expect it. That's what you know. To circle back to your original question. That's why I didn't expect it to be Arya until she pulled off the face. Um, because first of all... I just know, found it... I just... I mean, I just... I, well, because you were like, oh, this is going to be that, but I won't think it's Arya because of I know what the pies are. I didn't know what the pies are, but just... I just... This ca- random character, I just wasn't expecting well, Arya here's to be here already. I, well, I... Yeah, first of all, I didn't expect Arya to already be in Westeros. <laughs> um, the way that people are teleporting this season is, is it's bizarre. It's a narrow sea. Yeah, it was... <laughs> Jeez. Oh my god. <laughs> I'm just saying it is. No, That's it is. It is. It's called an arrow. See, it's, but it is it's a little, like, you know. It's a little weird that they can have so much teleportation at, especially even in this episode and and Brienne is still on that rowboat. Um <laughs> But no, well, I again, agree which is why I have to assume that they're they're keeping her somewhere for Yeah, exactly. She ran into someone or she's ashamed or I don't know. Exactly. But it, the reason I didn't I was surprised. That's one reason why I didn't expect it to be Arya. The other reason is that we had seen this girl before in the scene with Jamie. 
Um, like and she he, was looking at Jamie, which makes sense because I think Jamie is on her list. Is is he? Um, I don't think or he just is. Just the Lannisters, and so she's looking. Am I might just yeah. I think it's Cersei specifically, but here I mean, here's the thing: we also see her like uh, making eyes at him a second time in the scene, um, which to me doesn't you know the expression on her face to me read like genuinely flirtatious. Uh, and I don't know if that's you know I don't know what the a- what they told the actor or whatever to do. Um, I have no idea, but. The impl- what I got from the scene is that uh, uh, Arya has killed this girl and taken her face uh, to perform this assassination, which is oh, ex- which is the extra level of dark. You know, this scene is dark as it is with her murdering Walter Frey's sons and baking them into. Imagine the effort that this took. Imagine the effort. She had first of all, okay, we we know she can kill people. She's killed people before. Yeah, who knew she could cook? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. She has them killed. <laughs> she grinds them up. And she cooks yep. them into a pie. The 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 effort and you know and the only reason she does it is for the satisfaction of having way, the, of having Walder Frey eat his own sons before she kills him. It's it's crazy. Well, and by the way, this this the like level of you know socio uh, of uh, so sociopathy or whatever it is that's required to be able to sit there and do, you know. This is like something that's I think lost on a lot of people, but this you know I know basically nothing about psychology, but I have my sources on things like this, uh, you know, from from that sort of field, and the idea of sitting there and going through the process of planning out some sort of horrible event, planning out a murder, planning out whatever. That's the reason that the you know in our legal system we have a whole you know premeditated murder versus like you know. Uh, a crime of passion, something that happened in the moment, or an accident, because you know most people, most people, if they're like, I want to murder this person, might go through the the steps of even finding like a hitman's name or something, but they probably will chicken out and not go through with it, or they might, you know, like they, or you, if you're planning to murder someone, like you're probably not going to go all the way through it because it's you're gonna you're gonna have days or whatever to think about it and go, all right, you know, I was upset. Let's cool our cool cool out. We're not actually murdering someone, right? So, what that means in this context is, she went through this whole process, and at no point went. Maybe this is a little far. Maybe this is too much. <laughs> nope, never happened. So that means she was committed from beginning to end of this, which is crazy. Yeah, and well, especially if it started, you know, I don't know what the implication is supposed to be. It's not clear if she indeed did kill that girl, take her face for the purpose of the disguise, then, like, that's how she started. So already she's killed an right. innocent person. <laughs> you know? Well, yeah, but the implication could also just be that Jack and Agar gave her faces to use because but that's the thing. it did like, end on... The face thing is so... That's why the face thing is so confusing. It's like... And that's why the scene was so confusing. It's like, first of all, uh, did, so did she steal... Maybe she stole a face? Maybe that was her in the beginning, and she, like, stole a couple faces... Um, from the House of Black and White. I like how they're left. not even faces, though. They're kind of bodies because everything. Well, yeah, cause this girl is clearly taller than Arya, but we talk, we've talked about that in the past. Taller, too. different skin color, just just completely different yeah. body type. Everything is different about her. Yeah, but it's yeah, older maybe. It's not. Um... Oh my god, I just completely. It's not an exact science. Let's just say that. <laughs> it's, it's definitely not. But the thing is, now if you have a character who could just randomly turn into anyone at any time, you have Mystique. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. who could do anything and is very conveniently, you know, 
whatever. Um, but anyway, it's a it's a good moment. I just it made me think, wow, Arya's really lost it, which is interesting. Um, well, that, yeah, that's a, so, it, it is not just that she kills Walder Frey, which she's she's been building up to since the Red Wedding. Sure. Um, it's that she goes. That made sense. It's it, yeah. It's the when Wyman Manderley does this in the books, it's because he knows that the Freys and the Boltons are going to go home after the feast, but he is going right. to have the secret satisfaction of knowing what he did to them. Um, and right. knowing that he's going to get revenge one day. Uh, Arya does this, and, you know, it's basically just to... It's not just that Walder Frey has to die. It's that Walder Frey has to be... When he dies, he has to be... Uh, he has to have the knowledge that his house is destroyed, because I think these are his only sons, the implication. Um, right. His house is destroyed, and it's a Stark that's doing it, and he is, in his final moments, he has eaten the flesh of his sons. Uh, and, and, of course, you know... It's it's that that's all well and good, but you're gonna you're about to kill him. He's about to die, so really all of this is for you. It is all just uh, there is no uh, you know there, the the satisfaction of Wyman Manderley is you know that I'm keeping well, this, the same thing the I'm keeping did. the secret it's with the same them thing the and, did and they don't know. You know I, I'm keep I'm, I'm keeping the secret and they don't know, but I know. But that goes away when the person is dead because now it's just a thing that you did. Uh, no, no, I understand that, but let's. But it's exactly what the wave did when she took off her face when she was stabbing Arya. It's uh, the same, you know, sense of on a different scale, I guess. But yeah, well, a different scale. It's the same principle, though. There was no reason in revealing herself to Arya. She could have just stabbed her and walked away, but she wanted Arya to know that the wave killed her. Even though, what's the point? She's dying. Yeah. No, you're right. Theoretically, that scene was supposed to end with Arya's death. It's the same idea, except the thing is, the wave was the one who was like, "I'm actually no one, and you don't know how to be no one." Yeah. You're you know, uh, and uh, meanwhile, by the way, that whole theory thing clearly doesn't seem to have any. No, meaning. of course, no, no, of course not. <laughs> Although, actually, it could still be. Uh, honestly, it could uh, still be true. Just that. No, no, seriously, if if that was all just you know, the the end result is her becoming a faceless man, right, of some variety. So if that was all metaphorical, it doesn't really matter. The ultimate point is... Well, yeah, we we talked about that in that episode. It's like, the problem with the theory is that whether it's true or not, it has no impact on what happens. Not really. Yeah, exactly. The only thing it does is justify the Terminator chase. And even that doesn't... It's bizarre. You know, yeah, whatever. We, 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 talk yeah, whatever. we talked about that. We went, we went in way too long. <laughs> anyway, but yes, it's just funny to think about now in context, because I had forgotten. Uh, um. Okay, so... Jumping back... So, yeah, brief... Sam. Yes, Sam. Uh, so we see, cut back to Sam, so I guess we get more follow-up on this, which is good, because I was, I was hoping we wouldn't just end on the note we had. Um, cool to see this uh, library. Uh, from the outside, it looks fine. It looked, you know, like usual Game of Thrones distance CGI. Yeah, I, I, di- I didn't even know what this... <laughs> that, that's the thing. It, I didn't even know what, what the city was supposed to be. I didn't even remember where they were supposed to be going. I was like, where are they? Is it supposed to be what? What city is this? Where did they go? I don't. I don't. Oh, it felt right, very it's Doctor Town. Who. When, yeah, because so, lo- so the outside was like interesting and actually a little Doctor Who-y. and then coming in, it was like this is a Doctor Who scene where like long hallway, one guy there. You know, it's like Kitchaker's guy, Doctor Who kind of weird. You know, weirdness of this clerk who has weird mannerisms who like makes well, him it's, lean over it's and like, hand them a it's, note. It's Terry Gilliam, I think, is the um, the the uh, influence on on Doctor Who. Oh, okay, you know. On that kind of style, yeah, you know, uh, the uh, kind of uh, satirical exaggeration of bureaucracy. I think that's what they're going yeah, for. Yeah, exactly. And I love that we're having that. You know, I love that that's what they did with the Maesters because I think because we know so little about kind of the structure of their organization. And I, 
I think that's a really funny direction. Right, this to go is with a chance it. for them to do their own version. Sure. Um, and I like when we finally got into the library. That was really cool. Yeah, and we the things from the opening credits are hanging from the ceiling. Oh, are they? I didn't notice that. Yeah, the big ball with the spinning things around it that's in the uh, library. Oh, interesting. I wonder if that'll play into anything later on. Yeah, well, um, yeah. What if the opening credits ended up having some sort of meaning? In the... <laughs> well, I mean... That'd be crazy. The, uh, since, since the beginning, the opening credits have been like, you know, when we see the animals, it's kind of retelling the story of Robert's Rebellion. Uh, yep. You know, really in the broadest of broaded strokes. Uh, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see if uh, what the whatever that thing actually is has any significance, or if it's just like an Easter egg, like hey, it's that thing that if we... they're just like, oh, it's the same thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, by the way, opening credits now has the Starks back. Yes. On Winter that was Fall nice to see for the first time, probably since season man. two, I guess. Yeah, it's been a while. Um, so I like this. I like this. I I don't understand the idea of why women can't be in the library. Children, I understand. Children are annoying. Uh, and might disturb the maesters or whatever, but women? Why can't women be in the library? Well, it seems like, you know, that's kind of their default state in this, when they're writing this show. It's like, oh, we have this kind of organization of people, so um, there's no women allowed in it. (laughs) Yeah, it just seems odd to me. I don't... Yeah, I get... A lot of things in this, like, power structures, that all makes sense, but I don't know why you... To be a maester, you need to be a... Why? Yeah, but I guess I mean you know the idea is that you need to be a man to do anything in this world, I guess. But again, but I guess, you know yeah. the arbit- but your I think the critique is the arbitrariness of just the system itself, and I think that the show is obviously aware of the arbitrariness of that. Why couldn't a woman yeah, go sure, into sure. the library? Um, but I, you know, I agree with you. I wouldn't. I'm not trying to suggest there's a good reason why a woman couldn't be. No, you're you're a right. Lord and, I, yeah. Like I'm justifying that, but I can see there where they're saying, oh, it's a matter of passing on your name and your children and the rest of it but like to be amazing especially in the profession of librarianism of being a librarian right which is in the real world often associated with women which is kind of just funny to me that's like very different it's it's a thing where like i wouldn't have been i don't think it would have broken anything if they had said oh yeah there's female maesters i don't think it would have you know, yeah, sure. broken the reality of the show. We haven't seen any. Yeah, but... well, yeah, we haven't seen any. But yeah, I don't think it would have been, uh, you know, kind of counter to anything that we understand about the show if there, if we learned in this episode, oh, yeah, there are female maesters, by the way. It would have been like, okay, you know, well, that's how the world is supposed to work. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, or, I think the, the reality is they just want to have a couple of scenes, you know, wordless shots of Sam looking through books so he can find whatever it is he's going to find in this library that's going to change the story uh, instead of having a bunch of dialogue scenes with him and Gilly as he looks for things in the stacks. I think that's really what it comes down to. It'll just make these these scenes will go much quicker without <laughs> two people. I mean, if we have if we have those scenes at all cuz I have a sneaking suspicion that we might not see Sam at all next year that they're going to shuttle him off like they did with Bran and he's going to come back in season 7.7.2 season 7B and he's going to be like, John, you look at the thing I learned. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hey, you're a Targaryen. Yeah, yeah maybe. Exactly. Be well, it would have. By the way, how great would it have been if they had gotten to the Citadel and the guy had said, "Oh, our records say that Jon Snow is dead." What? Oh, why? I that w- wouldn't that have been because John Sam has no idea that any of this happened. Um, and I, oh, true. It was resolved rather quickly, obviously, but it would have been an interesting wrinkle if. Uh, if he thought John was if dead. If he thought John was dead, exactly. Yeah, that would be interesting. Yeah. Um, 
Because that's the only that's character who would have had any real reaction other than Ed, I guess. Like, you know, part of the reason that his resurrection... And Tormund. But part of the reason that his resurrection kind of ultimately fell a little flat is that uh, it didn't really have any impact on either him or the people around him. But if they had done this and Sam had really, like, been able to process... But it would have been a little late. It would have been late. For that whole reaction. It would have been late. Yeah, you're, I agree. But it would have been something, at least. It would have been his death having an impact, a real well, we impact on the character. We didn't get to see... We didn't get to see Alistair or anyone else react. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, that would have been an interesting way to do it. It's a, it feels a bit... Um, but I, I guess they want to do something with him. Or maybe they're gonna, just going to leave Sam off for a while, which I wouldn't be opposed to. Yeah. Uh, so then we have uh, this brief moment where finally... Uh, What's-his-face Davos challenges Melisandre on the whole Shireen thing and tells John what happens... Um, that, you know, she burned Shireen at the stake for sacrifice. Uh, she switches back to defending the Lord of Light, which seems like a weird switch for her, because she was so... I figured she'd be more dejected about it, but she was... She seemed to defend her decision-making process. Yeah. Uh, and then and then John's left with this decision, which feels exactly like a Bioware decision. <laughs> like, which, which party member do you want to decide with in this situation? Yeah, it's like, um, the end of Mass Effect 1 when you have to leave Ashley or, um... Or what's his face on the planet? Well, it's just any any time where you have to choose between like or you know the Krogan should you the Genophage you know yeah. whatever it's the same thing where you have to choose one party member or the other and then after he does it he's like uh, what is what does Davos go off to do after that? He doesn't do I think he says something about he just how, says like, like oh if you come back here I'll kill you or... myself he doesn't but we don't see him do anything else. Right, it just it just feels like he triggered that that path and I'm like oh I wonder what would have happened if he had if we could go back and just have him do the other decision instead but like this isn't Mass Effect at all <laughs> this can't happen um, but it's just funny because and then but Davos later I guess he says something I think later when they're all committing to him that he would commit you know he would stay by his side or whatever and I'm like oh that's because of the decision tree that followed from when he made the decision earlier <laughs> which is like not how I should be thinking about this show works <laughs> game series ruined me um, but anyway, yeah, so this was cool. Um, I don't know where she's going. I think, I feel like she might be going off to Daenerys because the whole Lord of Light clan seems to be following her. Probably, yeah. So that's, because there's not really, we're, we're slimming down in terms of where there are places to go at this point. Mm -hmm. Um, there aren't many parties that we know of left, or maybe she's going to go join the Brotherhood, which is also possible. Uh, yeah, well, there's a, there's a uh, red priest already with them. That's certainly possible. Right. So, I mean, she could end up in either because Daenerys is going to be a Westeros soon anyway. Yeah. So, um, I like uh, John and Sansa's conversation that happens after this, too. Oh, this was so strange because we talked a lot about last week, like, uh, the justification for Sansa not telling John uh, about the Knights of the Vale. We talked a lot about, yeah. like, what possibly could she, what, what reason could she possibly have? And she doesn't even bother to give anything. Wait, she just says, well, it's "Oh like yeah." Here I... they're basically saying they didn't trust each other. I guess, but like, for you know, I don't think they had any. But they didn't have any reason not to trust each other. You know what I mean? Especially with this. I mean, they haven't really ever encountered each other as adults. I don't know. But then I, I don't know. I, I don't think my problem. They don't have a reason to distrust each other, but I guess they don't really have a reason to trust each other except for that. But if she had said generic... that, there would be that would be different. You know, if she had come up with anything, all she just all she says is, "I'm sorry," like. Right. This was a huge, you know, it worked out, like we talked about last week, it worked out, you know, thankfully, but it is a, 
the battle could have gone very, very differently if John had known that the Knights of the Vale were coming. And right. there has to have been a reason that you didn't tell him and that you made that you made the you know, it was your decision that caused the battle to go the way that it did. Uh, and you know it right. worked out, but you couldn't have. She couldn't have known that it was going to work out that way. Um, and it it was just weird to me that they didn't even come up with you know a throwaway reason for her to give to. John. Honestly, for Sansa, I think that she is interested in fighting the White Walkers, and I think that's sort of her overall goal at the moment. And she was interested in killing Ramsay or defeating Ramsay. Honestly, I feel like Sansa's at the point where she's not really interested in relying on or caring about any other characters, particularly men, and what they can or can't do for her, whether or not they're family. And I think she was sort of just more interested in self-preservation. So if the Lord, if the Knights but, of the Vale really only saved her in that whole situation, she might have been like, "Fine, I don't care." Yeah, but it was no in her. In but in, even if that's the case, it was in her best interest to give John all of the uh, advantage that. He, she Why? Could. Every man in her life has screwed her over in some way. Why would she trust John? Why wouldn't she trust John? Every who who else one. is she going to trust in this situation? If her, no I don't, one first herself. Of all, first of all, her, that's the whole wait, premise. Wait, first of all, I don't buy at all that her goal is to kill the White Walkers. I don't. She has nothing. She has nothing to do with the White Walkers. I don't think that's well, her ultimate whatever. goal in any way. Her, her, her goal sorry, was to just saying, her goal was to kill Ramsay. That's what she wanted to do. She her, wanted Ramsay to be her dead. Her goal was to kill Ramsay, but I don't think. I think she was. She was basically. Not intent. She had no intention of relying on anyone else to do that. If she was going to do it with the Knights of the Vale, that would happen. If John did it, and great. If she was going to do it by some other method, but I think that she was sort of bent on that, and she wasn't going to necessarily rely on anyone else's judgment or for them to screw up what her possible plan was. I think she was pretty confident that the Knights of the Vale would be able to handle it if they came. And if not, she'd be able to do something but else. I think but she's, I think she's. But I don't. I don't know. She's clearly allied. It's not the best option, but I can see why she's sort she of. She knits given John up on a, that. a freaking direwolf coat. I think she cares about him. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's also true. I don't know. I'm just. I'm trying to justify it because I really have no. idea. I mean, no, but that's the problem with. I I agree with that. That's ultimately the problem with the scene is that it doesn't offer anything, really. Well, it it in that sense, yes, but I think the scene is really good because it I is, think I agree with you. I don't think it's a bad thing. Besides that, there's this awesome epic subtext to what's going on. Uh, and it's cool to have, you know, this is the Starks in Winterfell. And it's just really cool in the context of, you know, the greater context of the show. It's pretty epic. I mean, um, the the great thing about the scene, obviously, is the reveal uh, that Winter is here. And what I love about, the first thing I love about the reveal is that um, it, it works backwards. Because we see the White Ravens, when we first see the Citadel, we see the White Ravens pouring out. And we, as far as I remember, I don't think they've established that that's what that means up to this point. Nope. They ha exactly. So we see just the White Ravens pouring out, and then it's like, oh, that's a cool image. That's something that happens at the Citadel, I guess. And then we follow the one White Raven all the way to Winterfell, and it's like, oh, that's interesting. One of the Ravens is going... And then we find out what it means. So we've they've, they have basically, like, if you knew that that's what that meant, then the reveal came when you saw the Citadel. But... They kind of work it in backwards, uh, yeah. in a really cool way. Well, it's backwards um, only if you know what's going on. Otherwise, it's it's not really worked in backwards. It's just they show you something and then sort of explain it a little bit later. Well, yeah. Which happens, you know, it's just sort of normal storytelling. Uh, well, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but the, you know, I, 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 the second thing I like about it is that um, it is so underplayed because this is a yeah. huge moment. I mean, you know. It's a it's a joke. It's a meme. Uh, since 2010, winter is coming. It's just the line that it is the line more than any other that is associated with Game of Thrones. Everyone yep. knows that line. Everyone. 
so the impact of winter finally arriving is monumental, but it is so, you know, like I said, it's underplayed. It's so like, you know, and like I said at the beginning, it's not even really central to, you know, the fact of it isn't central to the episode overall. And only it occurs halfway through the episode. It's not even the grand final reveal. It is the grand final reveal of book five. Um, in that scene I talked about in that epilogue, it ends with Varys looking out the window and there's like snowflakes coming down. Um, and we don't even get that. But this is, for all intents and purposes, the the moment. Winter's here, and now winter is right. the state of Westeros. But it is right. so quiet, and it is a, it is more it is more about these two characters than anything else. I really like that. Right, it's an interesting um, it's an interesting point. Uh, I think that we've also got a little bit of confirmation now that the scene we saw where Daenerys was imagining the future, or was which started dreaming about the future, and she sees the throne room. And yeah. the red keep, and it's all snowy. It's actually winter. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I mentioned last week, right, that it could have been ash from the wildfire. Um, right. But that didn't end up happening. So yeah, it is probably just snow. It probably is just snow. Yeah. John Snow. Okay. So, that's well. That's um, an actual theory. <laughs> oh. That the the, the theory yeah. is that the relevance of that vision is that John Snow is going to be on the Iron Throne. Um, yeah, maybe. Maybe it's quite possible. You know. Um. So, it's going to be so interesting to see them interact, huh? Oh, yeah, it's um, going to be great. So, uh, then we cut to Dorne yep. for some reason. <sighs> Varys apparently is there. And, by the way, I just want to point this out. So, uh, the mermaid theory is Varys being a mermaid <laughs> uh, has gained new traction because he keeps apparating all over the place. And the the fact that he's able to do it with such ease and across bodies of water implies... <laughs> Perhaps he is a Merling or whatever they've decided he is. So uh, I just thought that was funny. That 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 is like the theme, the the theory that refuses to die. Yeah. Um, um, another great example. Not as good. I still prefer Hodor being a horse, but whatever. No, I don't think anything's gonna. I mean, I don't know. Varys being a merman is is pretty good in my opinion. That might top. Yeah. I think that edges out Hodor being Hodor being a horse for me, but just barely. <laughs> <laughs> well. So far, there's nothing to disprove that Varys is a, a merling. We have That's pretty true. clear evidence. Have you seen his feet? I haven't. I've never actually... Oh, well, we probably have. I don't remember. Maybe. <laughs> I, don't I think remember. we've probably seen long shots of him. He's always got that long um, robe. He does. He does. Maybe he is, in fact, a mermaid. All right. Uh, so, let's see. Um, right. So, I, I like Delena telling the Sand Stakes to shut up. Basically summed up my feelings That's on that great. whole thing. Yep. Uh, <laughs> then we cut to Dario. We get a scene that confirms what we were talking about last time, which is our question from last time or from a couple episodes ago where we were asking about what Dario, their relationship actually was. And um, she's basically saying, like, this was never going to be serious and you should probably just stay here. <laughs> Not yeah. that she doesn't have feelings for him. Um, but well, you were saying that you didn't think that they had any sort of serious relationship at all. And it's clear that she has feelings for him and she, he definitely has feelings for her. Yeah. Like deep, but it, like more than surface level. So interesting. But it also, you know, it, it also kind of, you're right, but it also in a, in its way kind of confirms what I thought their relationship was because he says he's fully willing to uh, be her kept man, basically. Um, right. To just, you know, lounge around in her bedroom all day. Uh, he's he's totally happy to do that. He doesn't want any of the uh, w- which makes it which is really funny considering all the there were all those theories about him, you know, 
being behind the Sons of the Harpy, and he was, you know, using her to scheme his way to power, and he, that could still be true, I guess, but really, I think he kind of lays his heart bare in this moment, and he says, I just want to, <laughs> it's weird that it seems romantic, what he's really saying is like, I just want to sleep with you all the time. <laughs> yeah, it does, but it's because he doesn't want to lose, and, and it's really sad when he says, you know, it's that, it's that general feeling people have about relationships when they end, you know, that, you know, how is he supposed to see anyone after her? You know, mm-hmm. she was literally the person, the character. How can you ever top Daenerys, right? Which is a good question. I mean, no one else is really going to compare. Um, and then she makes some, you know, sort of, I would argue, fairly insensitive comment, like I'm sure lots of other women, you know. Like, yeah, okay, he can sleep with other people. The point is, <laughs> he has affection for you. Yeah. Like, come well, on. Well, that, that line read um, to me as like... um uh what's that movie where uh the kid has to get the dog to leave so he's like screaming mean things at it and he's crying because he doesn't want to say it but he has to get the dog to go away uh (laughs) well that's what it is yeah exactly like it is certainly insensitive but it's because she doesn't want him to be so attached to her when she when she's gone right 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 right. um i also liked in this scene i think we got some interesting i like their silhouetted figures there was a lot of interesting lighting in this scene yeah, more silhouettes. Um, Miguel Sapochnik with those Roger Deakins silhouettes. They're cool. Yeah. Um, and then I love the scene just after this with the uh, with Daenerys and oh, Tyrion. Oh, this was fantastic. Yeah, such a good scene. I was like, verklempt, man. I was I was right on the on the 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 verge of tears. I thought it was so sweet um, because you have Tyrion, who's always sort of been. Uh, sort of not a nihilist but just not really he didn't believe anything he didn't care about anything and he's like i didn't care about anything you give something to care about you know and he's just pouring his heart out in a way he doesn't usually do and being earnest like this is i feel stupid this is the only thing but this is the only thing i've ever cared about now and this is where we are and you know i want to keep working and then she like went out of her way to make him a pin to be the hand of the queen and it's just this just wonderful moment. And forget about that. Just visually, them sitting. I love how, you know, Spotchnik had them sit specifically in the doorframe in this scene. Yep. I don't know if you remember that. They're sitting in the perfect spot for this amazing framing. Um, uh, where, again, I think it's backlit, but they're not silhouettes. And it's just, it's beautiful. Beautiful shot. Oh, I, I just remember, I do want to say, I just remembered um, one quick thing from the Dario scene. Uh, when Daenerys... Um, when he asks Daenerys who she's going to marry, and she says, and she smirks, and she looks into her glass and takes a sip, and she says, maybe no one. I was like, she's talking about, she's thinking about Yara. She cl- it's so clear to me. She's thinking, oh, right? Yeah. I mean, come on. And I don't, you know, I, you know, people are going to say, oh, you're reading so much into that. That's, you, there's nothing to suggest. that That is the, a millisecond after that happened. I was, that was my first thought. I mean, come on. <laughs> I mean, I was thinking that the whole way through, but that's just because I'm—I've been shipping them hard, yeah. and that's just—you know—it's happening. It's happening. Um, I have absolutely no doubt. The only thing I would that would have confirmed it even more is if she had been standing next to Daenerys on the ship. <laughs> she wasn't. <laughs> no, no, not yet. I was right there. I was so ready for that. <laughs> um, so, so I love the scene with Tyrion. It's, I think it's really endearing. Um, what else do we get after that? Uh, oh, by the way, he was really good at being hand of the king, so this is a great position. For yeah, him. exactly. And now he actually, and now he's actually getting it in a good way instead of 
like the way he got it the first time, which was not really the most. This is also, by the way, it's the first. You know, Tyrion's a great character, but and uh, you know, character develop character development is such a kind of trite phrase in, in criticism. But he, this is the first real development that his character's gotten in a little while. Um, True. He yeah, because I mean, he literally spells it out pretty explicitly in the scene that he has been a certain way for so long, but that Daenerys has genuinely inspired him and made him uh, believe in something for the first time. That's a really, right. like, that's a kind of radical sea change for what we know about Tyrion as a character. And I Yeah, but it's been demonstrated, what didn't come out of nowhere, it's been demonstrated throughout this season. He stuck oh, yeah. out this whole thing, and I think that's cool. That's Definitely. really cool. And I think that Varys has had some influence on that, too, because he's the one who sold this whole thing to Tyrion in the first place. Yeah, he's like, just trust me. Just meet her, and you'll see. <laughs> and then, you know, this is what we got. Um, and he was very lukewarm about it. Remember, before he met her, he was like, I don't, you know. That's right. Yeah. Okay. So you know, this is we've seen that he's really he believes in her vision, and that all happened, I think, really in that very first conversation they ever had, which was fantastic. Um, so yeah, then we get this weird little scene with <laughs> Benjamin. So oh, we, his skipped, whole we missed. Role um, this... There's a scene with Sansa and Littlefinger first. Sansa and Littlefinger. Okay, yeah, where he's being creepy. Uh, do we have to talk? We about don't this? have to because it's. I'm sick of it. <laughs> I'm sick of it. It's creepy. I don't know. I don't understand Sansa tolerating this in any way, shape, or form. Yep. It's bizarre. And then also, the Iron Throne. That's that his was goal. so. Yeah, it's so stupid. Like, that's really... It's crazy. Wow. Yeah, I mean, obviously we've known Littlefinger since his first appearance. To be fair, he's maneuvered himself into one of the you know, best... He's the head of, you know, one of the major... That's true. ...strongholds in the entire... From nothing. So, but the, why not? The idea that everything... Just the, the idea that everything he's done since season one that we first saw him has been, you know, a part of a plan to put himself on the Iron Throne is just bananas it's crazy i mean you know and obviously you're right he has certainly gotten a very long way in the time since we met him um but you know that's still not a tenth of the way to the iron throne so it's just a crazy plan it's it's yeah but i mean no there's no straight shot to the iron throne really so i guess except for like waging a rebellion and i think this is probably the more logical way of doing it, although I would imagine it's taking a very long time, but using a brothel to get information to then move into an intelligence position to then move into uh, the head of a house. I mean, this, the process makes sense. It's just going to take a while. He'll be old by the time he ever gets there. But yeah, maybe. Who the hell knows? You know, if there's even an Iron Throne at the end of this. Uh, but anyway, why Sansa's listening to this? Like, who cares? Like, you served your purpose. Leave. I thought you said you were going to deliver the Knights of the Vale and leave. Stop interacting. Yeah, this is a, this is one of those plot lines that I wish they had uh, cut off abruptly in this episode, like they did a lot of plot lines. Um, I would not have been sorry at all if she if she stabbed him in the heart right then and there. Uh, and oh that no, was just not the end at all. It. Yeah, be- Littlefinger can be dead. He's useless. Character. He's completely useless. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he's he had a, like a minor redemption by bringing the Knights of the Vale, and now he's being creepy. Again. Yeah, he he's a he's a he's a horrible person. He's done terrible, disgusting things to Sansa. Um, yeah, I, I agree with you. I don't know why she's even entered bothering to, and given her posi- the position she's in now, why she's why she doesn't just say uh, you're banned from Winterfell. I'd never want to see you you're again. You're banned from the North. Yeah, forget about that. Although she can't because he's got a house, I guess. That's tr- I mean, he has certainly as a lord, he has some uh, some 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 more sway than Melisandre, I guess. But um, right, yeah, exactly. I agree with you. I don't know why she's just like uh, go back to the Vale. I never want to see you again. 
I mean, the fact yeah, that he's exactly. there in the in the King of the North scene boggles my mind. It's very weird. Um, so okay, so then moving forward, we get this brief scene with Ben Benjin, where the only thing of use that he points out is just reminder: the wall's magic. <laughs> Dead can't pass it. Um, and so his whole arc was, "Hey, sup, bye," which is basically his all he's attributed to this. Yeah. Show and then that's it. We move on to the um, the flashback scene where we get confirmation that the ba- that Lyanna was giving birth to a baby who's Jon Snow. She wasn't screaming in like pain because she was being tortured. Well, not because yeah, she was being tortured. Baby. She was screaming in pain. I think <laughs> <laughs> she was. It was pain, but because she was, it wasn't because she was being tortured. Yeah. It was in fact because she was giving birth to a baby. But there's no one. You know, there's no direct implication of the father, but if we remember, it was Rhaegar yeah. who supposedly kidnapped her, so it's sort of implied. And then, of course, HBO ended up confirming that R plus L. Yeah. Well, I mean, this J was such a. Uh, you you were it's funny you were describing the scene with such like nonchalance and almost like oh yeah and this happened and this happened. Um, I like I was like getting teary eyed at this scene. This is beautiful. Really, only because we've talked about this for like an hour and forty. This episode for an hour and forty minutes. And we we're, didn't, we're just getting to this scene. No, yeah, <laughs> and I, you know, just to clarify, it is much later for Soren than it is for me. So I have a little more. Yeah, energy, it is. I guess. <laughs> slightly, slightly. So more. We'll, we'll, yeah. we'll we'll well, and also it's just we've built to this stupid scene for like you know, so many seasons now. Uh, it's like they give us some piecemeal. They still won't just come out and. Well, that's where I disagree you know, with you. Rename John or whatever they're gonna do with this character. I, that's where I dis- We talked about this this morning, uh, privately. Uh, I disagree with you that it's not explicit the uh, what they're going for because, like I said, you know. Well, you said it wasn't explicit. No, I said it was explicit. <laughs> no, you said it wasn't explicit. You said it's not explicit, but it's as close as you. Well, I, get. I mean, that's what I mean essentially. Yes, it is. They could not be. You know, they they probably could be clearer, but I don't know. I don't think there's any mystery in this scene as to who the father is. You know, I think there was significance to the fact that she whispers the name and we don't hear it. Well, yes. Um, I mean, maybe it is. It is weird. The whispering is, you know, is weird. <laughs> it's it's strange that they. Uh, she could have just said his name is John. Well, that's the thing, though. Uh, presumably, he has a he was given a Targaryen name at birth. And um, you know he's called John. Well, that's my. That, well, that's what's interesting about this. So now there, there's another name John might get. Like mm-hmm. it might not be John Snow. It might be John. It's not gonna be John Targaryen. It's gonna be like John Targaryen, which sounds idiotic. <laughs> anyway, it's gonna be like. Yeah, it could be you like know, you know. Uh, yeah. Raygon. Raygon. Or or it's probably something like that. Yeah. Um, but you know, I think that um, the whispering is odd. But what we do hear is something like you know his name is something. And then the other thing we hear is uh, Robert will kill him if he finds out. And I think that's the right. kind of that's the key of the scene because if it's not a target, yeah, but we're also you also you also have to keep in mind people remembering Robert from season one. We're in season six. I know, but I mean it's it's all part of the grander story. It's not about what you remember from season one. It's about the fact that this has been established, <laughs> and you know whether or not you remember it is is on you. The show has established this. It's part of the story. Sure. I, I just feel like, it, you know, it's... My point, what I was saying about earlier and what I was just trying to get across is I think there's a lot of people who watch the show, like, naming characters by their hair color and don't actually know what any of their names are or follow anything that's going on. They just go, oh, the dragon one and the the John, the John Snow character uh, or the, you know, like, there's random attributions to these these characters. 
um, that aren't like really, you know, there's like a whole bunch of people who think Daenerys' name is Khaleesi. You know, it it doesn't matter really, but it's just if that's your level of understanding of the show, which is completely fine, and there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> connecting the dots on this might be a little. Well, bit... that's that. What's funny is you say it's funny you say that because what I was about to say is fuck those people. Who cares if you're not willing to pay attention to the show and understand what's going on? I don't really care that you don't understand what the scene's about. The show has left the pieces. For, the show has established what's going on, and yeah, it's hard to remember because you know six years ago we first heard about in the this. Co- in the course of a two and a half hour movie. I'm okay with you know, challenging the audience a little bit, like in Tinker Taylor's a lot like that, where there's just random character names and ideas and stuff that you have to put together. But over six seasons, I would, you know, over six years, I could see how somebody might not have kept up with that. Well, but this just is... Just personally. I know, but I mean, when I read the seventh Harry Potter book, I still remembered what happened in the first one. I mean, that was a longer period of time. It's all part of yeah, the Yeah, but story. if they referred to some, ti- like, my, you know, minor side character and was like, he was the key to this all along, you might be like... What? Who was that? But that's the thing. The was reveal is that none of this was, you know, was minor. We we have known kind of tangentially. We, we've known about Lyanna. Yeah, but Rhaegar is not a, a factor in anyone's mind who's watching this show. But but that's all. the thing. You know, that's on them. The This this event... <laughs> no, it is. It, it, there have been like three pieces of dialogue in the it whole doesn't show matter. about Rhaegar. It doesn't matter. First of all, those pieces of dialogue were there, so it, it doesn't matter. It's there. It's part of the story. Second of all... Um, the fact that Rhaegar kidnapped Lyanna is the entire reason that this story is happening. It's the reason that Robert rebelled and was sitting in the Iron Throne. It's the entire reason that Daenerys is on Essos at the beginning of the story. It's the entire reason The entire reason why any of this happened is that Rhaegar and Lyanna ran off together and had a kid. And by the way, that kid is Jon Snow. Yeah, I, I know what you're saying. I'm like, obviously, I know it, but like, I'm just... I can I I've I've strong feelings there's a lot of people who are who are like whoa that's cool he's really a Stark that's awesome I think that's what a lot of people got out of this well I mean well here no one's connecting Jon Snow with Daenerys is what I'm saying there's like I would I would hazard a guess there's a good chunk of the populace that has no connection between Jon and Daenerys well maybe but I mean when even early like, in, even they... earlier in this season they established at the beginning of this scene that we saw they established that you know it was Rhaegar who who took her there so I think. I think the connection is there to be drawn and not to be kind of and not to be remembered. Um, but I also, um, you know, I agree with you. Yeah, there are probably people who didn't really get this what their the significance of who John's real parents are. Um, because if it is if if it is just uh, well, I mean, here, here's what we really have to discuss here is that um, unless Rhaegar and Lyanna were married, John is still a bastard, <laughs> right? So. The question, the only reason that this would, well, I mean, it has significance. It is significant that he has Targaryen blood in him because that connects him to, uh, you know, if, if uh, Daenerys conquers the Seven Kingdo- Kingdoms again, that has him in line for the throne. He's part of the royal family. I was going to say, he's, he's her nephew. Yes, exactly. Um, but he... Which, by the way, they seem like contemporaries. I mean, that's, you know, well, I mean... The, tar- the thing about the Targaryen family tree is is kind of uh, twisted and naughty. <laughs> it is. It, I I will say this about um I, I mean and sure contemporaries why not like sometimes people have kids you know like if your sibling's much much older than you and is like twenty when you're five that could happen I guess you know then you would be a contemporary with the if they had a kid. I mean that's right? literally my yeah. my my I my little sister is uh, about fifteen years younger than me so. Yeah, exactly. So that you know, that could definitely happen. I just, I was just thinking about it because I was just thinking about how they cast the actors in terms of their ages, and it's just funny to me that 
I guess they are. They are pretty comparable in age. Mm-hmm. Um, but she is. She is his. She's not of the. She's not like a sibling. She would be a, an aunt, which is a just interesting dynamic there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he would be next in line for the throne if they're going to go by dynastic, passing on. And by the way, that means that it wouldn't be a woman after her, which is kind of an interesting point too. <laughs> uh, if that's the theme of the, where the, where the show's going. Um. So yeah. So was there anything else about this? Um, I'm trying to think. I mean, it's a, you know, <laughs> it's a, it's obviously an earth-shattering reveal. But like you said, we've known about this for a while. Like we've, and that's the thing with, you know, in the book too. That's really the significance of it for is for book readers who, again, have basically known that this was going to be the case for since book one. But it was never over. Exactly. This is the first time in any media that it has been liter- It's been literally confirmed that this is it. Um, so that's that's the major part of it. And if it wasn't, by the way, just to be clear, if it wasn't confirmed here, just so people know, HBO confirmed it on their website. Yeah. With some infographic or something. So it it, it was regardless of whether or not the show did explicitly enough or not, um, the show like it was overt. Um, so that's interesting. Uh, the next, what was the next thing? Well, it um, cuts to the uh, King in the North. Scene. Right, right, the King of the North, which is very similar to the scene with Rob, yeah. uh, which ended so well. <laughs> uh, but I will say that it's one of my favorite scenes from <clears throat> it's one of my favorite scenes from the um, finale of season one, which is probably still my favorite episode of Game of Thrones, because uh, it's just so motivated. I mean, that's you know the season finale of Game of Thrones. Aside from you know they got rid of the sad stuff the episode before with Ned dying, and season the last episode of that season is just all like. Yeah, like the coolest stuff is happening and everything's very positive. Uh, you know, little do we know, but of course, in the moment, it seems very cool. Um, but this scene was bizarre to me. So uh, we have uh, Leanna Mormont giving this speech, which is really good, right? Um, about supporting John. Mm, uh, I, well, okay. I, I... <laughs> what? When Leanna Mormont first showed up, we both agreed. This is awesome. What a great, what a cool scene. What a great character. Yeah. What a great performance. Um, but she keeps coming back, and I feel like, I don't know, like, to me, this moment like teetered on the edge of this character wearing out her welcome. It's like, all right, I get it. She's you know, it's cool because she's precocious. young, but she's like acting very uh, precocious. Yeah, exactly. No, I... It's like I I think she when she first showed up it was like, oh wow, what a what a great concept for a scene. But I don't think they it. focus on the fact that she's, I mean, to me, it's just, she's like another character, but she's more interesting than any of the, you know, 15,000 nameless no, I know, men but, I don't care about. But the point is I'd that she's, I'd much rather uh, hear from her. But the point of the, you know, exactly. The point of it is that she is acting like any other of them, but that she is a child. <laughs> um, yeah, but that's not the point of it, isn't that she's a child. No, what and I'm that's saying, the I'm point saying the here point is that it's not the focus. Nobody laughs at her. It's not like a, Oh, she shows them. She just is a character. I know, but I'm show. saying that the fact that she's a child is is inextricable from you know everything that she does. It's just inescapable for me. Uh, it's it's just it's kind of it's become it, not, not there's nothing against the character, but it's become kind of like you say the precociousness of it is a little distracting for me in the moment. Um, and I don't know. I, 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 maybe they'll if she comes back next season and has more stuff to do. Maybe it'll be more interesting. But it is, you know, it's basically the same thing as last time, you know, more or less. So that was I, I don't know. I, I want to harp on it, but I don't. Know. Well, my issue is broader than that, which is how could she have seen what just happened at 
the battle and be like, no, John's the guy who should lead us, even though he made every wrong decision <laughs> in that battle. He possibly could have. How do you inspire anyone? Um, That's true. And, and also, why are they all pledging to John? Why doesn't John say, no, really, it should be Sansa, even though he said that earlier in private? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you have this ridiculous scene from Glover who goes, oh, you know... I'm sorry, uh, you know, we were partners for so long, and then I just, you know, I wasn't there, and I, you know, I regret it every day. And John goes, there's nothing to forgive. Um, no! No, there's everything to forgive. Are you kidding yeah. me? <laughs> and then he's like, but no, I swear, you know, just as for a thousand years, we, you know, we'll continue to serve you. And I'm like, uh, no, the one time we needed you, you weren't there, so. Yeah. Absolutely not. You can hang. I'll take your son. Maybe your son will be a little more, you know, or whatever unbelievable he's just like there's nothing to there's nothing to forgive of all things to say this is why john shouldn't be in charge of anything he's no idea what he's well doing. no but i mean this is john's character right he's much more i mean you remember when rob beheaded uh lord karstark for disobeying him that's a thing that rob would do john is a much more yeah but john was a I mean, but rob was a good leader uh, rob didn't end up he's so a better good. leader than john i mean rob, i'm not saying rob was a bad leader but rob made I prefer John as a character, but I, I think Rob, Rob made a the dumb the 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 dumb mistake that Rob made is about a billion times dumber than anything John has done. I gotta say, um, which was his dumb mistake was falling in love with somebody as opposed to John. No, his mistake, dumb mistake was is... marrying that woman and then going back on the phrase. Yeah, I guess I don't know. John literally charged his army into what probably should have been his death. And yeah. only by some miracle. Rob, well, alive. Rob married his way into his death, so, I mean, Trug, <laughs> who came out of that one okay, right? Yeah, whatever. But, but, it might, but yeah, but Rob had strategy, he kidnapped people, he won battles, he inspired people, people saw him, you know, actually do things. There was no strategy or anything, I mean, John tried, but there was no strategy to, like, 98% of the stuff he did. He didn't, like, distract them and then kidnap Ramsey like they did with, you know, Jamie and things like that. Like, they just, none of that ever happened. You know, I just don't know why anyone would back him the way that they're backing Rob, um, or why they didn't wouldn't back Sansa since she's the one yeah, who saved all the. That's asses. my problem with this scene is that, first of all, Sansa's an actual Stark, right? The whole thing is like, oh, right. I don't care. He's he's as good as he's as much a Stark as any of them. He has Ned Stark's blood in his veins, which is hilarious because he doesn't, <laughs> uh, as we've just found out. He does have Lyanna's blood, obviously, but you know, it, it, it's funny that they say Ned specifically. Um, but yeah, you're right. It's like okay, it's one thing to say. Hey, John's as much as he's as he's a Stark to me. I'm happy to, you know, have him lead the house. When you have uh, an actual, yeah, Stark but it's not right like there, there's right? not an actual Stark sitting next to him who had just as instrumental a role in winning the battle as he did. In fact, more so because, like you say, she didn't make the stupid mistakes that almost got all of them killed. Right. So yeah, she's the one who brings the the cavalry. And and by the way, what's that weird look that she shares with Littlefinger? God, the, after oh, I don't happens, know what like, that's supposed to signify. Is that implying that she's like, oh, I guess he doesn't want me here. He, you know, I'm never going to achieve anything here. I should go with Littlefinger. No, I don't think so. I think it's just, I think it's just like they, they exchange horrible. a glance, like, um, like, oh, this storyline is going to go somewhere next season. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, but, which is dumb because, like we said earlier, why is Littlefinger even there? Yeah, I have no idea. Like leaning against well, the wall, he... like like a jackass. Just because he's in Winterfell anyway, wouldn't wouldn't he come to this thing? I he's guess. not even uh, sitting at the table. Just ugh. Oh, well, why is he there? Because he's a lord. He is a lord, I guess, yeah. It does make sense, actually. He's one of the, That's true. the lords who needs to pledge to John, I guess. Um, but anyway, so... Okay, so then we get this last 
these two last scenes. Yeah, we talked about Cersei. Um, Cersei going to the, so Jamie showing up with Bronn, seeing the devastation obviously caused by wildfire, and then he's like, "Oh, snap!" Goes in, sees uh, Cersei ascend the throne. Um, which, by the way, Cersei of House Lannister. Yeah. I, Interesting. Very like again. I I think that's the way they've referred to her in general, but whatever. House Lannister certainly. Um, that's clearly where she's identifying now. Uh, and then uh, Jamie, you know, is in. By the way, it's the same. No, it's not the same place. I was thinking it might have been the same because that was in the that was in the Sept, where they first meet in the first episode of Game of Thrones. Yeah, that was in the Sept. But that was in the Sept. Because it was John Arryn. Just funny because that that set is gone now, or whatever that that scene that area is gone. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah John Arryn. Right. Um, <laughs> so. Uh, and he's sort of seeing all this, and you get the impression that that is sort of the, the, the straw that will break the camel's back there. Um, there was there was something else about... Th- no, that was all I really had to say. It's just yeah. that of House Lannister, I thought was interesting. But this is a great scene. I liked it. Um, she looks very imposing, sitting on the Iron Throne. Mm. Very uh, Disney villain. Very Disney <laughs> villain. Uh, right, exactly. The White Queen, I was thinking, you know, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Um, any of the stepmother characters from any of the Disney movies. Um, but uh, yeah, so then uh, we cut to the fleet where yes. we finally get to see all these these ships. The, we see ships from, I guess, from the Martells. I didn't realize that. It's really um, quick, yeah. Ships from the, with the Greyjoys where they have a cool Kraken, um, oh, what's it called? Mast- Sigil? It's not a Mastiff. No, no, what's the, the thing on the front of the ship? Oh, what is that called? I mean, I know that it's the bow, right? But I don't. I, there's a name for the specific thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hmm. The figurehead? Maybe. Is it figure no, head? but I agree. I mean, when I saw the dragon one, I was like, I, I made it all like, oh, that's so cool. <laughs> yeah, that was really cool. And then and there was a kraken as well. Yeah. And also the the um, some of the ships are Dothraki ships and have horses instead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was um, cool. Uh. So so, yeah, I really like this. I love the shot of it. I love seeing the dragons flying over. This is this thing we've wanted for a long time. Mm-hmm. It is called a figurehead. That's what I thought. Um, so the dragons flying over them. Um, Varys is apparently already back on the ship. Uh, yeah. By the way, though, a lot of people were like, oh, that's ridiculous. How could he get there so fast? Um, I understand he's getting. he has to go back and forth between these. But again, narrow sea, not really that far. Um and also, we don't know how long it took. They yeah. were still in, you know, the gap between them. Well, yeah, this didn't make sense to setting me. Setting sail is. This didn't make sense to me until I noticed that um, that the Martell ships were there. Which means that there was a lot of Exactly, time it means he brought the Martell ships back to Essos, and now he's coming back with all of them. So. Which is actually a little weird, if you think it's about it. It's a huge time gap, yeah. Well, yeah, but why would the ships go all the way to Essos and then come all the way back? Oh. Oh, that is weird. <laughs> Except to carry, I guess maybe to carry more people, maybe if they needed some support. I guess, but yeah. Like, why would you do that? Yeah, that is that is kind of weird. Hmm. They should just meet them in Westeros. <laughs> They're already there. Huh. I just realized that. Yeah. Huh. It's funny. <laughs> um, but anyway, it's a great, uh, great final theme, and uh, yeah, I thought it was really daring. Once they ended, we knew that the big moment of the episode came in the very beginning. I thought it was very daring to open that way. Um. In context of the fact that it ends with a big moment, but not nothing demonstrable, just another epic Daenerys moment, with no no like nothing actually happening, just 
Isn't it cool? She's got a fleet of ships now. No actual... We're not actually going to show you them fighting or anything, but... Just you wait until next season, <laughs> which is often how Daenerys' plotlines end. I'm trying to look at um, how many season finales have ended with Daenerys. Season 1 definitely did. Season 3 did. Uh, seasons 4 and 5. Season 2 did. Season that's two. That's when she gets her dragons back. I think that's the end of it, or is it not? I'm not I'm talking like the final scene. I think the final scene of season two is the White Walkers, right? Oh, it is. So yeah, it's, so it's definitely season one, season three, and okay, maybe it's just half. But I got, I, I have this for some reason. I had this impression that like they, a lot of season finales had ended with her. But certainly, the, some of the more dramatic moments that have ended season finales have been yeah. uh, Daenerys moments. Well, and they also just they generally end with some sort of army marching or some sort of thing like that. Yeah. Like like the White Walkers. Um, what's the, her moment? Oh, her moment in season three is the Misa moment. Yeah, right. Uh, how does I don't remember four and five ending at all. Well, season season five was Jon Snow bleeding out. Um, and I think season right. four was actually like Arya going. Is that Arya on the boat? Yeah, that was kind of a whiff, huh? In terms of final scenes, final scenes, yeah. But I I liked it in the moment. I mean, it's just it was a little narrow scope wise. Yeah. Huh. Um. But it did represent the beginning of this uniting of these two plot lines mm. in a way that we hadn't seen before. Yeah. I mean, her plot line didn't really tie into Daenerys's, but we got Essos and Westeros not just being Daenerys and everyone else. You know, we got a lot more overlap. Um so yeah, that's that's about it. Uh Whew. so you like the finale? Was this a good finale? Really good finale, yeah, even though there was Dorne. Um somehow I still even liked Dorne. it. <laughs> well, that's because Dorne barely had any. Yeah. Problem. But no, I um, I gotta say, uh, I'm gonna after we're done with this, I'm gonna go back and listen to our episode on the season five finale. And as I recall, I was um, pretty despondent <laughs> on that episode uh, in just in terms of uh, the future of the show. I think I remember saying specifically, if we didn't do this podcast, I would probably stop watching. Yeah, I believe you said that. Yes. Um, and now I'm glad we do this podcast because this was an incredible season. What a what a uh, what a uh, comeback story for Game of Thrones. I just want to, speaking of, I just want to point out a bunch of people have asked me, I've told them I've done Game of done the, that I do this Game of Thrones podcast, and I'm like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not really a big fan of the show. You know, or people are like, oh, I haven't been watching that, or everyone tells me that show's so great, and I'm like, you know, it's fine. <laughs> I, you know, as it's ups and downs, it's okay. Yeah. And I'm like, why do you do a podcast then? I'm like, okay, we don't, we're, it's not a fan cast. Yeah, yeah. You know, like I, those exist, and that's fine. And and I'd actually, I I highly support um, <clears throat> one called The Signal, which is a, a Firefly Serenity podcast. Hmm. Um, and that's just a fan cast about like things going on with the property or talk discussions about the, whatever, rewatching whatever they're doing with the thing. But that's very different than I don't know what we do with this. We're discussing it. I would, I would hope from a critical and and you know the sort of journalistic perspective it's not a f- we're not interested in being fans of it per se uh just like we were doing with Cora we were critical of even we I, we both really liked that show and I think we were pretty critical of it in yeah. a lot of ways so I don't know I just found the question bizarre like this isn't a f- what well I mean I think it's a fair question <laughs> to I like think it to cover from it. someone's perspective like you mean you put all this effort into a thing and you don't even really like the show? I can see from someone's why someone would think that. But you're right. It's like the value isn't like it's not about liking the show. It's about the value of the you know the discussion and then the 
yeah. and critically and looking at something critically. I mean, I really loved this season. I can't say just because of season five and kind of season four that I love Game of Thrones um, as a whole. And we were just talking about this before we started recording. That's funny. Um, but, uh, you know, it's... I, I, I still, even in kind of the depths of <laughs> season five, I still got something out of talking about the show with you and I hope that I would hope that our listeners do too I mean look if no one listened to the show I would still enjoy talking about the show with you and I would still get something out of it um, and I hope that people who listen also get something out of it and I agree with you I think it's you know not to I feel like we're you know I don't want to feel like we're tooting our own horn in the end of this too much but I agree I think there is I think it's good to spend to devote energy to something uh, from a critical perspective and not a, you know, kind of just unilateral praise perspective. Um, yeah, we course. could do, you know, we could do a podcast. Well, I think, I think he, Roger Ebert talked about, you know, fandoms and how he just thinks it's the most useless form of discussion. Not in terms of, you know, if you're a fan of something that by no, listen, I run a Firefly fan page. I am absolutely not the person to have a critical discussion about Firefly with, and it's just fine. That's okay. And I acknowledge that. Um, but, I can even acknowledge when it comes to Firefly, I have a blind spot in terms of my... I would not ask somebody... I would recommend Firefly, and I think it has absolutely has critical merit. And if I'm being honest, I could probably find things to complain about with it. But I'm... And certainly with Serenity, with the film. Um, but I also understand that, you know, it's not... I don't engage in the most rigorous interrogation of the property because I'm operating from a fan perspective, and you do run into that echo chamber weird, you know, just um, confirmation bias discussion when you do, when you approach it from that. And then at, at most you're getting like, oh, I wish that character didn't die or just plot yep. discussions, which is not, just doesn't discuss any of the technical aspects or things that go into a thing. Not saying that we do this or that we do it well, but we at least try to. <laughs> just wanted to clarify. Yeah, I mean, I think, the, um, I think the difference here is that, um, you know, you know, you talk about Firefly, I'll say, uh, you know, Steven Universe is a show that has personal meaning to me. It has personal significance to me, personally. Uh, Game of Thrones means nothing to me, <laughs> whatsoever. <laughs> that doesn't mean I don't enjoy watching it when it's good. Um, but I am not so, not just invested in it, but in terms of the way that it, it doesn't reflect on my life in any way. It doesn't reflect on my personality in any way. It doesn't, sure, you know, yeah. really... I don't see myself in the show in any specific way that I that I do really uh, with a lot of my other favorite shows and movies and albums and whatever. Um, so, but just because Game of Thrones, like I say, means nothing to me personally, doesn't mean that it isn't uh, that it doesn't offer a lot of fodder for stimulating uh, conversation. And certainly, and there's a lot. There's a lot. I mean, I I don't know how much I'd want to cover. Like, I'm trying to think of a show that I just have no time for. I think I watched the first season of Hemlock Grove. I don't even know if I finished it. <laughs> like, I don't know if I'd want to do a podcast about that every... Because it would just be the same, you know. Yeah. I don't care. You know, and nobody wants to hear... You know, we, we'll say that occasionally about this show. Like, oh, I don't care about this character or whatever. Um, but every if every episode was just that for all the characters and all of the everything all the time, you know, I could see how that might get kind of dull. Um so I, I, in some sense, I understand why somebody might be a little confused by that, but I think this, there are certain shows that are worth in terror. I think Avatar was absolutely worth talking about in depth. Uh, I wish we had been able to do it for The Last Airbender, not just Korra. Um, but 
yeah, I think if there's enough there, then it's definitely worth discussing. And even bad things are worth discussing. I just think if it's really bad, we probably could cover a whole season in an episode instead of going into each episode and having the same complaints every time. But yeah, it's all worth discussing. That's that's what you know. There are you're right. Just there are certainly thing. shows uh, that are worth um, interrogating episode by episode in a podcast format. Um, it's funny you should mention that. Uh, <laughs> you want to do it now? Do you want to? Yeah, I was going to say, and by the way, I just want to say that on your note of personal meaning, the show we're about to mention has no meaning to me personally. I just think it's a brilliant show. And I like <laughs> it. So um, I uh, proposed this idea to Josh, and uh, we sort of finalized it on Twitter, Twitter publicly, so some people probably are familiar with this already. But uh, Josh and I will be covering on a week-to-week basis following Stark Contrast, which is ending this week, of course. Um, but we will be covering Deadwood, uh, another HBO show from, I think it started airing in 2002 or 2003, uh, so the Sopranos era, um, and, uh, and also the Rome era of, of HBO. And uh, it's a show that I absolutely, I can't get it, I think it's absolutely one of the most brilliant uh, things HBO's ever done, or just TV in general, it really is. Uh, peak television, but I haven't seen it in a very long time, so it's going to be sort of fresh to me, although I know the general direction of the plots and characters and things like that. Uh, and Josh hasn't seen it at all. Not so, one um, frame. I don't know nothing about not it. Not one frame, which is great. Yeah. Uh, so he's going to experience it from top <laughs> I, to bottom. For a, while, for a while, I thought it was the same show as Carnival. Um, oh, right. I gotta say. So, same. Yeah. Well, it's the same, uh, I think also the same era of shows. Yeah, so that's that's the level. It, it is a it's gonna be a role reversal from uh, from this podcast, where Soren is gonna go into each episode, kind of oh true, uh, knowing what's up, and I'm gonna be vaguely, yeah, vaguely, because like I said, it's been a while. But yes, I have the general uh, the general. I am I have I know nothing nothing about Deadwood, but I'm excited because when I because uh, everyone on my Twitter certainly got excited about <laughs> about the idea that I was gonna Anybody watch Deadwood. It amazes me how few people have seen Deadwood relative to how good it is. It's kind of um, shocking to me when people are like, oh, I've never seen that. But we have a lot of people who are willing to, who are excited to jump into it. Uh, and if you've seen it already and you just want to explore it again or listen to our discussions, by all means. Um, the podcast will be called Hoopleheads, which is a, a term that apparently uh, not, isn't not racist. pejorative. We, yeah, not racist. We that. I, I thought it was in my recollection of, from the show, but I think it's something that David Milch either invented or some obscure term he pulled out of the history books um, when he was writing, David Milch being the, the creator of, of Deadwood. But uh, yeah, so it's going to be called Hoopleheads. It's a Deadwood podcast. Very excited. Um, I'm kind of hoping a little bit that Josh hates it just so we'll have really oh, that would be each great. episode. <laughs> um, but I would like it even more if he just enjoyed it as much as I did because it brought me immense joy when I first saw it. So yeah, here's I'm excited. Well, that's going to start soon. That is going to start soon, either next week or the week after. I think I... I might have made promises, <laughs> so we may have to we may have to just push forward. But we'll be doing a season, and then we'll maybe take you know we'll see what the schedule looks like. But it will be on a weekly basis, and uh, it'll be very similar to this format. So if you like Star Contrast, please absolutely check out uh, Hoopleheads coming to a a headset near you. All right. Well, that's been Star Contrast for a season. Yes. All right. So for that was um, what the sixth season and. Uh, we will be picking Star Contrast again up for next season, which will be shorter. Uh, only seven episodes, I believe. Um, and uh, then season eight, which will be the year after that. So we've still got two more years of this 
Game of Thrones business, mm -hmm. if you can believe that. <laughs> Alright, thanks for joining me, and uh, I'll see you guys on Leds, hopefully.